Hi, hello, welcome one, welcome all to the TetraCast, episode 259, recording on July 9th, 2022. Uh, here we are, uh, still in the early days of July, feeling good, feeling hot, and we're ready to go. Uh, this week, we have uh, quite a bit uh, to share with you. We can finally, you know, talk about a little bit about the things we've been uh, cooking up behind the scenes. Adam and I here uh, have been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And there are some other guests here uh, helping me along the way. Introducing Adam Vitali. Vitali, hello. Vitali. Uh, James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So Chow has been playing the Live Alive remake as well for a little bit. And then uh, James and Chow have been playing that re-release of Klonoa Fant- with Fantasy Reverie. And James has been working on that new Cuphead DLC, the delicious last course. Uh, before we get into everything here, I just want to talk about, you know, kind of the, the biggest RPG, you know, thing that happened this week. Uh, I was able to write up a pretty comprehensive preview of uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and I recommend, you know, giving it a read. It is quite a long piece. It's probably the longest preview piece I've done for the site in my time here. Um, it's, it's the funny thing is it's only the opening hours. I was like, what am I going to talk about? Because, you know, Adam and I, we can't say how long we've been playing this game. Uh, we're quite a ways into it, but you know, we can only share just a tiny bit. You know what? I, I, what I thought, yeah, uh, yeah. The preview piece you writ, you wrote is mostly mechanics. Um, yeah. You know, because these Xenoblade games have a lot of, you know, systems kind of overlapping with each other. And then, no spoilers here, really. Anything we'll discuss story-wise is, like, premise. You know, stuff that's been revealed or is, like, revealed very early in the game. And there are things we could spoil, but we're not going to. Um, yeah, we're not. But, so, you know, people can hear read what I think about it so far. But I want to hear from you, Adam. Just, the, you know, when you first started Xenoblade 3, like, what really stuck out to you? Um, so I guess unlike, uh, how do I put it? So in Xenoblade 3, you're kind of introduced to your first trio of characters right away. And they're, they've grown up together. They know each other. It's, uh, Noah, Yuni, and Lanz. So like, that's already a little bit different from like Xenoblade 2, for instance, where you basically have boy meets girl kind of, uh, sort of, uh, paradigm in, in the storytelling. And it's all centered on like their relationship. So like, the character interaction is a little bit different from the start because you have these three people who basically, you know, know each other as like almost like siblings, really. And so that kind of has like a different feel to how the characters work. But then, of course, the the situation that they're in is they're basically fighting a war. And um, so you immediately have, you know, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And... Uh, from there, you kind of start to learn about the two different factions. Shortly later in, in Chapter 1, you meet the other trio. And, you know, this is kind of inevitable that they're going to meet and be in conflict with each other and eventually join up. You know, that's not a surprise or a spoiler. So, yeah, that's the very first thing that Nintendo shares. Like, here are the characters you'll play yeah. in the game. It's like, okay, great. 
Um, yeah. So, but uh, kind of like uh, any Xenoblade game, it has to, it slowly doles out to you all the different systems. And uh, if you're the type yeah. of person who just like counts, if you if you were just to count the number of tutorials that Xenoblade throws at you, it's like uh, what would you say? It's got to be like. Over fifty, yeah, over fifty. <laughs> more, more and more join up later, but like for early on, it kind of gives you every single piecemeal like thing that you can do, and it even kind of walks you through it. It's really trying to, um, it's really trying to make sure everyone is kind of on the same page. Yeah, it, it's basically it's basically a reaction to like if people who played Xenoblade Two, one of the main criticisms uh, with that early on, especially at its launch, is like hey, it's very easy to like mash through these tutorials accidentally and miss what they're saying and never like return to them again because after the tutorial flash it's like okay um it never like reminds you like well, how the system works again in xenoblade 2 until i i don't know if they eventually patched it to like enable you to like return to those I tutorials because yeah i don't remember i don't remember much of it's like uh like uh, post updates or post launch support when it's uh, when it's updates but definitely like at the launch date of xenoblade 2 which i also reviewed like that was kind of one of the things that really stuck out to me was that's that's kind of weird that like these tutorials are so fast and then like it's like a one and done it's like wait i didn't get to like understand like what was going on there and just to be like clear how this game will often do with many of its tutorials um like for example this is in chapter two and we can talk about this this is the class system in the game um It'll actually like go into the menu and be like, now click classes. Now on this page, you can see this. Click Noah. Have him change to this class. Click it. And it's like literally walking you through it, almost like a software tutorial or something. Yeah, it's it even um, like shows, shows like, like, this is how you equip an accessory. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's very like, it's trying to make sure this is how you do it. And then every tutorial that like you come across is automatically stored into like the tip section in the option menu. And also, like for any battle tutorial uh, you come across, it'll be stored under the training drills. And in training drills, you can just redo any tutorial that uh, shows you like a battle mechanic. Just that, like you just go to like some like VR simulation type grid, like just closed off space, and then like just redo the tutorial just to make sure, like okay, this is how the system works. I understand it now, and you can redo now, it again. If you, again. if you play the other Xenoblade games, nothing in this game is, uh, I think you know, going to be too different than what you played before, or, or at least you'll be able to grasp it relatively quickly. But just, it's sort of just something to be aware of that, like, yes, in the first chapter of Xenoblade, which is basically what we can talk about, there are a lot of tutorials because it has to basically explain every single individual element of the combat, which is, if you've looked at the screenshots of it, there's quite a lot that you have to be looking at. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of, like, people, like, who are from the outside looking in, it's like, how can you make sense of like the ui and like it looks so cluttered it looks like a mess how can you even read it and that's just like for other xenoblade games it's sort of like that where like every part of like the the ui from like an outsider perspective looks like a nightmare and i i definitely understand uh that but you know as you learn more and more about it you'll understand that like there's actually like the ui itself i've gotten like accustomed to it. like i actually appreciate that like it's very it's very detail oriented of like uh what it's trying to like convey like say there'll be like a distinct icon for okay your character's in range to like auto attack there's a icon for that so you know like if you're standing too far away from an enemy or not to auto attack and then like for a lot of these xenoblade games there'll be skills that uh get bonuses or enhancements depending on your position relative to the enemy so if you're in front in the behind or to the side and then the the game uh has another icon that will 
just tell you it's like an arrow up, up above like your arts bar to the right that just tells you like from, from the icon that you'll know right away where, where you are in relative to the enemy in terms of positioning and that's really really useful because like if you want to like go against like this smaller enemy that's like a flyer or a wasp and like it's hard to determine that mm-hmm. uh aspect of it or those crab things where you can't tell which way they're facing yeah <laughs> um, yeah otherwise you mentioned this in your preview the tone of the game is pretty different from it's kind of feels like almost like a mix between one and two it's and this is where i have to be maybe a little careful not to describe like too much past what we can talk about but xenoblade 2 is very shonen very hero's journey type of style a lot uh, kind of like larger than life sort of you know characters and interactions and things like that where this game it's a little bit I don't know if down to earth is the right word because you have like a big war going on, but it's it's uh, not quite so shonen, um, and uh, you know I know that might not be the best way to describe it, but it's got a little bit of a different feel to it. Um, yeah, and it's also not so like you know Xenoblade One's opening is of course kind of um, very you know you're in your home so, JRPG village until something you know until tragedy hits and then it's basically off on an adventure um, sort of deal. Uh, it's not quite that either because in this game you, they all they know is war. So it's yeah. it's and that's been happening for as you know as long as they as long as they have ever ever known. So it's it's definitely got a little bit of a different feel to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very more somber uh, yeah. tone in that aspect because like from the outside looking in, like you know as the player, like man, this is really sad, and for them, this is like yeah, this is the way of life. Yep. Uh, what's the what's the stuff. phrase live to fight fight to live that's basically their motto and the yeah theme of the game yeah. early on so yeah and and, and I, I, it was interesting because i i watched like rewatched the opening to xenoblade one as i was um writing this preview and the difference in tone like because at the very beginning of this game is it tries to kind of be nostalgic or feed on nostalgia for xenoblade one of like you have your tutorial out in like the middle of the battlefield like how you know you took uh Control of Dunban at the very beginning of Xenoblade One against the Mechon. Um and this one it's 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 presented way less like I don't know, like I don't if I was to, if I were to describe like the the tone of like Xenoblade One's opening, it's kinda like more like valiant or heroic in that aspect of like, oh, it's like it's the hero with the with the Monado going up against the yeah. the Mechon. And this one, like just from the get go, like the opening cutscene, it's like this is gruesome. This is grim, violent. Least, yeah. This is grim. Like you, you, you understand right away with Noah narrating over it that like these people are fighting just to survive. It like literally, like because once they kill the like anyone from the opposing force, like there's this red life energy that comes out of them and like it's sucked up. Yeah, by, like, it, the, like, if you if you've uh, for, I guess if you haven't been watching or uh, you know any of the preview stuff or any of the you know, the Nintendo Direct, because you uh, don't want it to be spoiled at all. You're probably not listening to this, but uh, the, re- the, thing for the, the thing about this war is that these two factions, they literally need to kill each other. Like, they have to, or they die. So it's got a different tone to it than, you know, Xenoblade 1, where it's just you're defending against these ruthless, basically, literally faceless attackers. Um, so, you know, that makes it different where, like, these these people don't necessarily want to kill each other like but they have to they literally have to because they're you have to absorb the other person the other faction's life to live 
So yeah, kind of changes things when that's the case. So yeah. Yeah, so and and you know it's, uh, the the opening hours, like you said, is more made tutorials. You get to explore like you know the the opening zone around like the uh, the Colony Nine uh, base settlement camp that like these uh, first three characters are in, and a lot of this like you know tutorial side quests and mm-hmm. you can fight, just, you can it, fight while swimming now. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's, a, it's a revelation because I didn't know no, that. No, that was out. that was an early like holy shit. Even though it's just a small thing, really. It's just like yeah, but yeah, it's, it's such swimming. a big thing for Xenoblade. Yeah, <laughs> because, because every Xenoblade, like if anyone's played any like prior Xenoblade, like they will remember like having to, like how do I get the this the attention of this like water creature uh, to come towards me? Like I could like and I'm out of range of like throwing a rock at it, which you could still do in this game. Like I'm, th- I'm, uh, I'm still out of rage. Like, how do I get it towards him? This one's like, just go get him. Just go get him, champ. Um, yeah. I will say, but, in terms of the mm-hmm. first chapter, after like the opening sequence, this is maybe putting it a little bit more harshly than I mean. But I was sort of like bored for a bit when exploring the first zone. Maybe it just kind of like felt sort of same old and like, eh, you know, this feels like Xenoblade again. And you only have the three characters instead of the six, so it kind of feels. Um, maybe a little bit like stripped down than what the game becomes. And so I was kind of like, maybe not bored, but kind of felt like I was going through the motions at that point. It's and very was, slow at the opening hours yeah, for sure. But then like, as soon as you kind of get to the end of chapter one and the sequences that happen there, that kind of basically, those are the, the, the events that pretty much kick the game off at that point. And that's when I was kind of like, okay, now I'm on board. Like now I want to continue for sure. Um, so maybe if other people, when they get their chance, a chance to play this game, that's you know that's that was my experience going in. Is like I did, I did I wasn't like locked in until the, kind of the end of chapter one, where you kind of have the, the typical sort of Xenoblade like big event that kind of happens that kicks things off. So yeah, it, the, I think that's something that we were talking about too early on um, in terms of like just the environments that they present early on, like. Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2 had like pretty strong starts when it came to opening uh, hours of, for their environments. Um, this one is a lot more, like I put, as I put in my preview, like a very dour uh, sort of um, tone to it. And because, you know, the, the, the nature of the story is very, you know, not, it's not happy. It's, it's, it's very depressing from an outsider's perspective. Like, and their environments reflect that sort of tonality of just war is hell um mm-hmm. and the, like you know the, the war isn't uh, fought on like pretty fields or like or like bright environments and uh, that's not how you want to characterize you know the the nature of this world uh, as you're getting a look at it so like and so the, a lot of the opening hours and a lot of the over- environments in the opening hours are just like like i, I was kind of i don't know what i was expecting but like you know a lot of the the, the staple thing for xenoblade uh games usually is like hey a lot of like the memorable environments in this game are usually in the first few hours and that's definitely not the case in this game yeah literally the first environment is a wasteland so it's just kind of like oh it's a bunch of nothing <laughs> so yeah. that's just kind yeah. of how it is even if it makes sense it's you know like i remember xenoblade 2 uh not the first zone but i think the second zone is uriah which is like this really like colorful blues and purples and reds uh with great music um, behind it so like that like really stuck with me early on but yeah it in 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 xenoblade 3 there are some good environments later that we can't talk about but the early ones are kind of just like battlefields so you know uh, speaking of music I, I hope i hope people like flutes when they get into this game or yep. you will learn to love flutes yep um 
Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, flutes are a central like story. Yeah, like they're story relevant. Like, uh, I mean, like literally, the very first thing we saw of Xenoblade Three ever was Neo and Mio playing flutes. So, like, yeah, in the very first and, trailer. And, <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that's also like a, 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 on top of all this, like the the flutes are uh, instruments uh, held by offseers in this game, and what that means is that the the Noah and Mio are offseers, and their duty to their armies is that. They when they come up across a corpse, they they send off the the voices of the dead uh, with their flutes. It's kind of like a passing on, sort of uh, a peaceful. It, what's kind of funny is uh, when they first showed this in the game. I was like, oh, so this is like sending in Final Fantasy X, and then they literally also call it sending. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense why you know yeah. use the same term, but that's what it is. If you played Final Fantasy X, it's just it's you know when people die. In the war, they basically have these offseers, you know, play their flutes, play a melody that, you know, sends them to um, literally, I think I could say it's back to the queen yeah, of, of yeah, the nation. Yeah. So kind of like a heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also something you'll be doing out of like when you're exploring the field as well. You'll come across like these corpses called husks in the game. And um, they have these distinct icons on the map, like a flute icon to, to, to show like, hey, there's a corpse here. And then, like you kind of you go over there, you play uh, Noah, Mio, or both both of them will play their flutes, um, and like you gain affinity points for doing that. Um, just you know, just the kind of like a a sentimental thing almost. It's like you don't have to do it, but you know, it, it's almost the right thing to do almost. As to be well. honest, it it kind of that that mechanic kind of feels like just you know a small little micro game thing where just, you know, they had to put some stuff in the map other than just enemies and to fight. So it's like, all right, there's yeah. going to be a few husks that you can send away to get some points. Yeah. So, and there, there's also like instances out on the field where like, there's like two opposing sides fighting each other that you can like, just go over yeah. and then it'll just like pop and say, who do you want to like uh, side with? Like early on, you won't have a choice, but like, you know, later on you'll have a choice of like, do you want to side with this side or this side? And then like, and then you're not really picking a, a side based on like, I'm interested in supporting this side. You're basing, basing it off on like, do I want experience or do I want like a currency <laughs> uh, out of this? You're, you're, I, I assume most people are just going to be looking at like the, the rewards on like, okay, I'm going to side with this because I want this yeah, reward so, instead. So you're talking about the skirmishes. And yeah. so like, honestly, the like when it comes to like the game design as a whole, the skirmishes and the, the, the husks that you find across the map honestly don't really amount to much they're, they're you can almost yeah. forget about them but they're just like small little things that you can do on the map that you'll run into here and there um so you could you like honestly you, probably, you could probably describe this game and not even like in pretty thoroughly without even touching on those two things at all because they're kind of minor so mm-hmm. so i the the something i didn't really touch upon in my preview but i've been playing with english voices i think you have been too and i, I generally like like the english voices a lot more than in xenoblade 2 yeah, it feels like they I, uh, it's better than xenoblade 2 i'm not sure about one the thing is is uh xenoblade 1 obviously came out well later like in english so when they were localizing it you know the game was done in japanese um whereas 2 and 3 now obviously came out simultaneously it kind of felt like and this is just speculation on my part that Xenoblade 2, maybe just the fact that it was coming out simultaneously and maybe uh, came out just... It kind of felt like it came out hot and maybe they just didn't have a whole lot of time to like make sure the takes were done well or whatnot. Um, and they maybe didn't do any sort of lip matching or anything like that. Where here it feels like they put a little bit more like thought into um, things like that. I mean, it feels like 
uh, yeah, the takes are done better. It feels like there's better matching to lips, so it's not so jarring. Um, yeah. Out of the main six, though, who do you? Uh, which English voice do you enjoy the most? I like Mio. Uh, Mio. I like Mio and Noah, and I like all of them except. Uh, it's kind of funny that Senna, even though they're all British voices, her voice is like sounds the most like Valley Girl, <laughs> which I think is fine, but it's just kind <laughs> of uh, you know a little bit different than the rest. Um, yeah. Uni is fun. Uh, she kind of has like uh, <laughs> she's very. I want to put this. I, I like I like Uni's the most. She's my favorite out of like the the, the main six. <laughs> she's kind of sarcastic. She kind of yeah. she swears a lot. I mean British mm-hmm. swearing, so like arse. Uh, <laughs> uh, so she's kind of like a bit of a potty mouth. But um, but yeah, I, I do I do think overall it's better than two. Um, I never really like uh, Rex had I think a good cadence. I think, but like anytime he had to like yell. <laughs> just kind of Rex has had that weird thing where like he he had better as the game progressed, but early on it was like pretty rough. And then like, you had to get used to it. Pyra's English voice, I kind of felt like she was scoffing all the time. Like imagine like all like kind of just scoffing <laughs> in every line, and it kind of just came weird to me. Uh, I, I imagine like in your head, it's kind of like, oh man, I have to go to a voice recording session again. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's. And I, we mentioned this in the preview too, or you did. Uh, unlike Xenoblade Two, if you want to play in Japanese, you don't have to like go to the eShop and click the Japanese voice download or whatever. You can just switch it, so that's nice. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just all. Yeah, you don't need yeah, to download it's anything. It's our deck. It, so I don't. I, it is. It is a pretty chunky download. I didn't actually check like the exact file size on it, but it is a. It, it took a bit for for me to download it. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's that's kind of like the. The, the cost you take, it's like, hey, you want both uh, the tracks in there, voice tracks in there. Well, just we can be prepared for that. Uh, can we talk about heroes? Uh, uh, yeah, we can talk about the we hero can't mechanic. Talk about specific we can, heroes, the, but we, can't we can't talk about the identity of heroes, yeah. but we can talk about like, the mechanic itself. So if you want to uh, chime in on that, go for it. So this is one of those things that, like, when they first revealed that sometimes there's a seventh party member, I was sort of thinking, like, originally, like, Final Fantasy 12 ish. Where Final Fantasy twelve you have six characters and sometimes a seventh, but it's only like four or five throughout the game at certain points, and that's what I was thinking. Just like oh, at certain points of the game, a seventh party member will join up, but that's not really the case. It's really literally once you unlock this hero system, you will always have a seventh member with you always, and it's this is pretty much like the carryover of the of the like the rare blade system from two. In that, um, can we say how many there are? I don't remember. There's quite a uh, lot. There's quite a lot. There's, there's, quite, there's quite a chunk. There's quite a chunk. There's more yeah. than five. Uh, yeah. And, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to be clear, like the, the the main like the main like caveat with these hero characters that you can have in your party is like you can't have you, you can't play as them. Like you can't switch yeah. over to them as playable, but they'll be in your party still, like fighting along. You just can't like take control of. Yeah, them. Yeah, but they're they're literally with you the entire time, and by the yeah. time you get into like the main run of the game, you'll. You know, you'll always have one with you, and you can you'll have to you'll basically swap them out for various quests that they might be involved in, or 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 whatnot. And you know, there's certain ones that are healers, certain ones that are attackers, and whatnot. Some are more story relevant than others. You know, some are really just kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like the blades in Zeno Two. You know, like they have like a little mini quest or whatnot that you know is voiced usually and whatnot, and then they join you, but that might be it. 
it is interesting that like some of them have like unique lines for like when you like revisit some oh, yeah. places with them like they'll they'll like chime in and like yeah that have like actually like, like somewhere like sometimes a conversation with a, a party member because you're in that like certain place mm-hmm. yep so there's a little bit of you know just kind of unique dialogues there if you have certain characters certain heroes in certain places um, they don't really participate in the story so like it's not like if you have a hero on you and then you like do the next story event. The story will pretty much kind of pretend they're not there usually. So it's it's more of just once they once they kind of once you've done their like hero quest, they're with you as you're exploring and whatnot. But they don't like they won't join. They won't show up in the cutscene usually. Or if they do, they're just like a model in the background. But that's, yeah. you know, it's, and, and, I think that I think it's a pretty smart kind of takeaway from the blade system. There's no gotcha, you know, <laughs> or element or anything like that. You'll 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 always run into the same heroes in the same places and then along. Well, the there is there, there's actually like a, like one mini RNG system where like yeah, it, you can, we can, yeah, yeah we, we, we can we can talk about this because it's like it, it's still within the, the the guidelines. But like there, there there's a certain point in chapter two where like you can like fire up this device. It's called a fabricator, and like you can like just put in like in game money that you're an in game. It's all, there's nothing no no real money element, just in game money that like uh, and then it'll pop out materials. And like you know, sometimes the materials it may have may be like something used for quests or yeah, something. Yeah, like what I think this is, if you played Xenoblade, you know there's a lot of collectibles, like tons of collectible items. There's like hundreds and hundreds. So like in the first region, which is like the wasteland region, there's collectibles you can get on the map. You literally run over them and they you pick them up. That's similar to past Xenoblade games, but also on the map. There is this fabricator that you basically just spend money on it, and it spits out collectibles at you. And I'm pretty sure it's just like a, a kind of a randomized selection, like gift bag of collectibles you can get in the yeah. area. So basically, oh, yeah. ra- rather if you needed like, oh, I need some, I needed some of these random collectibles you get in the wasteland. Rather than like running around and picking them up, you can just like let me go to the fabricator and just like feed it money, and it'll spit some out at me, and maybe I'll get what I want. So that that seems to be the utility of it. It's just like it's another option to just to get the collectible items that you can pick up. So yeah. rather than having to run them around and pick them up. Now I, I I will say there is a lot to this game. We are not talking about. Yes, uh, the, 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 there's there's just a gigantic amount, and uh, we we could share we could share it with you at a later point, but not right now. Um, people who really like the Final Fantasy V's job system will really oh, yeah. like this game. Yeah, yeah that, that that is basically it's what the, you're getting with this game. So, you know, in terms of like game flexibility, Xenoblade One probably has the least because your characters pretty much have set roles. Um, you know, like Shulk is your attacker, uh, Dunban is usually a tank, uh, Ricky mm-hmm. is I guess Ricky is kind of a grab bag, and Melia does magic and all that. Xenoblade Two, you had flexibility because you could swap out your blades and. Even though, like, you had like the defender and the healer and what, what I forget, I forget the terminology they use. But depending on the blade you had, you used, you could kind of coordinate your party um, that way. Xenoblade Three is similar in regards that it's very flexible; that any character can eventually be any class, and you can cross class. You know, um, you know, even though Uni starts out as the healer, she can be an attacker. You can use attacker classes on her. I'm not at the point yet where I can like, where I can like min max and like decide like who is actually the best suited for certain classes or whatnot, if there's any, like, real significance there. But in any case, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of how you want to do it. And as you and I are playing through the game, past where we can talk about here, we're actually been discussing, like, I wonder this class here, like, if you use this class in conjunction with this, like, ability, 
how well that'll work or with this with this yeah it's uh, kind of it's kind of okay this is like this is weird like the detail but um like the the only thing that like kind of affect quote unquote affects like a person's like uh compatibility with a class is like when you when you hover over a class and you like you kind of get like uh, some notes about them they'll have like a, a grade rating on them like say oh, yeah. uh like tyon has like maybe a, a, a b rating for um nova's class sword fighter what this means is like all that rating says is like how much class points they'll need to like rank them up so like if they have a lower uh grade rating that means it'll take longer for them to rank up with them so like if, if tyon had like an s rating with sword fighter he'd be able to breeze through those sword fighters levels uh fairly quickly unlike if it had a d rating without sword fighter it would take quite a bit of battles to uh rank that up i wonder though once it is ranked up if the rating actually matters like in terms of like their capability yeah i'm not sure about that either the thing is is you you, there's a lot of classes in the game so even at the point where i'm at well past what we can talk about i'm always swapping them around to kind of have other characters learn other classes you know kind of like you would in a final fantasy 5 you're you're always swapping classes around um the game does have a really nice uh auto kind of uh auto build so you change, let's say you change Uni from a healer to an attacker, all of a sudden her ability set and her equipment set doesn't match, but there's literally, you can press one button and the game will set it for you, like here are the best equipments and the best arts that we can, that, you know, that we can set to her right now. And, yeah, and, and uh, the, 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 real, the, the, the real thing about like ranking up those like classes is because you're, you get like, you, you normally have three arts and a talent art at the left, uh. For your like your current equipped oh, class, you're gonna get into the you're gonna get into the, in the weeds here. Like, like, like it's kind of, great. You you had a thought going. I don't want to get into it until you finish your thought. No, all I was gonna say is that uh-huh. it, it's pretty painless to switch classes because okay. you can just press a button and then the game will automatically kind of like reset them up. Um, that's all I was gonna say. You're gonna talk about okay. There's like four. I'm gonna try like we're gonna try to like I'm gonna try to like simplify it as much as I can. But like it's kind of under it's kind of like almost vital to understanding like why why do why do you want to why do I want to do this in the game mainly right because why like class? exactly and and the the main like reason for people who have been following like the trailers and info about this game you'll kind of know that like. Uh, Noah's side from Kevis and Mio's side from Agnes. Obviously, they're opposition at first. But the way that their arts work at first with your initial default classes is different. The Noah's side with Union Lands have their arts on a cooldown like Xenoblade One. Uh, Mio's side with Tyon and Senna have their arts like Xenoblade Two, where their arts fill up every time an auto attack hits. So, like, remember, like for Xenoblade Two players. Like they had this like trick of like, hey, once an auto attack um, hits, go like flick like the movement nub literally quickly, so like your next auto attack comes out faster because that's a, that was like Rex's animation, so like that's that that, that allowed them to like uh, charge up arts faster uh, in that game. So it's kind of like that where you know you can you can sort of manipulate it, uh, but every time your auto attack hits, it'll charge up that. So they. Both of them are, are fundamentally different because one works on Xenoblade One systems, one works on Xenoblade Two systems. Not exactly because because me because there's no elemental orbs like Xenoblade Two in the game. It's just like only for art cooldowns on that on that aspect. So also there is no wiggling. Oh yeah, there's no wiggling. Yeah, you're there's right. No wiggling. 
You tr- it's did you try a good it? thing, to be honest. Yeah, I tried yeah. it. Of course I did. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Xenoblade 2, literally, like, you would do, like, a three-hit combo um, with your auto arts. Uh, but they're, they're actually, so I, if I remember Xenoblade 2 correctly, like, if you just had Rex wait, like, you would do, like, a three-hit little, like, his own little combo. But it was almost better just to have him wiggle and just do the first hit of the combo over and over. Uh, in this game, there's nothing like that. Your auto attack is literally just the same attack every time in sequence, and if you move, it's not going to make it come any faster. Yeah, so. there's, actually like a, like, there's actually like a hidden stat for it of like of like um, like auto attack intervals, yep. like uh, like time between auto attacks. Yeah, you so, can yeah. actually you can yeah. find equipment and whatnot, and even or gems that are like reduces auto attack interval by twenty percent or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah. So the, you're right. Um, so the the reason why you want to level up classes is because as you're level breaking them up, they'll start getting things called master arts, and these are arts that like you can uh, always equip on them no matter what skill they are. The only caveat is that it always has to be from the opposing side's classes. Yeah. So like a character will always have a set of arts that work on cooldowns and a set of arts that work on auto attack cooldowns or auto attack attacks yeah uh charges so and, and like and depending on what class they are let's say like if mio has noah's class then her master arts uh must now work on uh, uh must be one from the opposing side so it has to be on auto attack because noah's class works on cooldowns so it's basically just uh, a character must always have our three arts three of them on cooldowns three of them on auto attack recharges that's that's basically it it, it, it seems more complex than it is, but it isn't. And then there's this whole system where, like, if it, like, as you have seen in screenshots, when like two of them are lit up, like you can choose to like fire them both at the same time, and they're both charged up to do a fusion arc, and that basically allows you to execute like the primary skill with the with the added benefit of the master arts effect mm-hmm. on it. And then you know that there'll, there'll, it'll affect some other systems we can't talk about, but, but again, that's kind the of game the, the, will, of the game will tutorialize all of this. <laughs> yes, the game will tutorialize all this step by step. I, I promise you, and you can and you can redo the tutorials if it like. If there have been a few games. times I've actually have gone back to the tutorials. Like, wait, what was that? How did that work again? Mm. Uh, and it's nice to have. Yeah. So yeah, so it's um yeah, and and for and for people like me, I haven't really I haven't really like. Uh, manually changed everyone's outfit to like uh, all look the same. I, I always let them rock the outfit of the class, um, no matter what. So like, there's a lot of like really fun like appearance changes oh, yeah. uh, for people and outfit changes that they can do when they uh, equip a class because like everyone has like sort of like their default like um, clothes that they always have with them. Um, like no always has like the undershirt, uh, but um, when you equip a class, you also have like like their outfits on you as well. Like they wear like a like the sword fighter has like the red jacket. So well, like, like if you have yeah, like for example, uh, Uni her normal outfit is like a green and black hoodie, and if you have anyone else as the healer, they'll also have the green and black hoodie. Yeah, you know, uh, and some of them are like uh, some of them really work really well with some of those <laughs> outfits. Well, I actually yeah. I actually realized that um, I don't think this is a spoiler. So no. like before the, at the very beginning of the game, they have like their like military uniform. Uh, which is different than like the uniform they pick up later, which is kind of like their the main one they have in their in their like key art or whatever in the character art. Um, you can actually put them in that military uniform again if you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if you if you want, like they will never wear that outfit because it's not a class outfit ever again normally. But you can put them back into it if you want. <laughs> it's kind of fun. 
Um, anything it... else you want to mention for now for Xenoblade Three? Uh, there's a lot like we. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot I but... can't talk about. Um, uh, yeah, well, we can definitely get more into it once we're allowed to talk about it. You know, we're gonna we'll, definitely. We'll, and I, I know a lot of people don't want spoilers at all, and yeah, aren't listening to this if they, yeah, because if so. But um, I, I'm curious to see. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it, it's definitely a Xenoblade game. Like, there's no doubt about that. But it, it is just you know the tonality of it and the style of it is a little bit different. So I'm kind of curious to see. How people take to it so yeah the, the, the in some ways like xenoblade 3 so far has been like it's it's kind of a natural evolution of not just one and two but there are definitely like some parts of like xenoblade x that has made it into this game in like a really yep. surprising way can we talk about um, info that's kind of yeah, yeah. In, info remember. the info <laughs> But it, what do you mean info? The info thing that you like eavesdrop on people and learn stuff. That's from, oh. that's from Cross. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, I um, mean, was that yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I don't know if it was in two, but it was definitely in Cross. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can talk about it's that. It's just a, a minor mechanic, before. but like sometimes yeah. you'll literally like have NPCs just like talking to each other and they call it like info. That's why I called it that. Sorry if that's awkward. But uh, <laughs> they, they, that's what it's called. It's called info. And, like, you you just say just, eavesdrop. Just say eavesdrop. That's what it is. And then, like, you like learn a thing, and then you, that sometimes have yeah. quests and whatnot. And, like, yeah. it's a, again, it's like a minor mechanical thing, but hey, that was seen in cross. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. So, yeah, it's not like a. Like, Every, anyone who's ever played a Xenoblade game before, they will see something of the. Even if they only played one of them, they will see some aspects of it in here. It's like, oh, that's interesting that like that part of it is like in in here in a really fun way. Okay, one. Uh, I think the last thing to talk to touch on. I've seen a lot of people wondering this. Hmm. Do I need to play Xenoblade One or Xenoblade Two or both to play this? And I think kind of this is kind of like based on what I know past what we can talk about. I don't think you have to play it. It's, it's, again, one of those things where it's, like, you might get more out of it. Uh, it's, but, like, in terms of, like, is it absolutely required? No, it's definitely not the type of sequel where it's, you know, falling on, like, the same, you know, plot line, just, like, continuation. It's not that. But, you know, there, there are things in it that, like, for example, the characters have designs that are clearly based off of characters from other games. Like, Uni's wings are clearly uh, the high Entia wings. And whatnot, and Senna has like a flame hair, kind of like Brigid in Xenoblade Two, and like, what does that mean, sort of thing? You know, it, 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 it is interesting because, uh, like, you know, like you see this in Chapter One, but like the the both both of the fo- opposing forces, Kevis and Agnes, like Kevis has like humans or Homs and Mechon and High Entia, yep. and Agnes has like the Gormati and like the various like humans mm. that inhabit like the the the, the, the places in. The um in Xenoblade Two, like the uh, what were the 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 blue people called in Xenoblade Two? I forgot the hot the Indolians or something. Remember. I remember the blue I people. Know. I don't remember what they're called, but yeah, but yeah. Like for example, if you see a person with like cat ears, that's gonna be there. There you are. You know immediately that they're from Agnes because that's Xenoblade Two. Yeah, but um, it's interesting that like they never ever like. In chapter one, they have, they never really mentioned that like, oh, you are a Hom, you are a Mechon. Yeah, there's no that those men, those names are not mentioned in the game at all. Yeah, it's just one of those things you notice. Like, ah, okay, the characters from this side are more from Xenoblade One, and the characters from this side are more like Xenoblade Two. And I am not 
you know, who knows what that means. <laughs> so yeah, so I, you know, yeah, maybe maybe I, I, maybe I haven't finished the game yet. Maybe I'll eat my words and like at the end of it, there might be like some huge like here's Shulk or something. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, we don't know. We generally do like we literally do not know. Um, so, but so far, it seems like it's one of those things where it's, you don't have to, but you'll get more out of it. So. Yeah, but but it, like I think it, I think for for now as far as we played, it's perfectly fine to mm-hmm. just play this. Uh, yeah, this is your first Xenoblade game, you know. That's totally fine. But yeah, um, we'll get back to you in a couple of weeks before launch, and uh, when we can sort of fully talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, we won't spoil anything. But that, that, there is much, 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 much more we can say about this game. Then. <laughs> Um, we're not allowed to right now, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to having that talk with you. Adam. it's mm-hmm. this game is uh, is, it, it's a beast. It's a beast. All right, uh, it's not the only preview for a Nintendo Switch game. Uh, came out uh this week. Uh, Chow, you have been working with Paige on the Live Alive remake. Uh, Paige put out a, a preview for that as well, and that it. It's her first time playing Alive Alive, so it's uh, interesting getting like a newcomer's take on, you know, a pretty, like, it, as far as like niche RPGs go, like this is like one of the more like revered ones as time has gone on, especially you know when it got a fan translation several years back. Uh, t- tell us what you think about this. Now Live Alive is now full, like officially released in the West, um, or, or is well, going to be yet. released in the West? <laughs> yeah, soon. Not yet, not yet, yeah, soon. But uh, fully remade. Uh, well, how's your time been with that? I I love this remake. Okay, it is basically mm-hmm. the exact same game. I know it sounds kind of bad when you hear this, but it's the exact same game, but made with like a thousand times better presentation, and it makes a whole lot of difference. If it ain't broke, why fix it? it right? Exactly. Um, I, the biggest change in this one is that you have a lot more clearer UI because if you play the original, the UI is non-existent so you oh, let's, let's, let's step back a bit before before we get into that like for people who don't know like what live alive is like like this is a pretty unique rpg like even compared to other rpgs because it's like a almost non-linear like you can go about it like in any order that you want like you see you see a character that you like like go play their story first you're not bound by an order or anything right yep you're not bound by any order it's just like saga frontier okay you got like seven characters to start with and then there's there's more but like if you watch the trailer there's they show eight characters so if you play the game normally it's only seven characters to start this with. is one, of those, this is one of those things, this is one of those things i've kind of like gathered i've never played live alive i'm gonna play this remake i gather there's like seven normal scenarios and one special scenario i forget which is which but they i remember i know the marketing for this is kind of just shown all eight anyway yeah <laughs> Uh, some people think that that's kind of a mistake. They should just keep it because, you know, but the thing is, you know, what can you do? I mean, sometimes it doesn't, I don't think they spoil much, you know, without context, you don't really know what's going on. It's like people watching anime openings and said <laughs> that your opening spoiled everything, but without context, you don't know what the hell is going on, right? But yeah, all I know is that one of the scenarios is like special or like a finale or something in some way. And I, I forget which one, uh, I did that, and that's just something I sort of collected. But the marketing for this game just kind of revealed: here are eight different time periods. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's, yeah, like, there's, that, like, yeah. there's like present day. There's distant future where you play as a a, a robot named Cube who is definitely a sphere. Um, and there's like 
Twilight of Edo Japan. Yeah, there's, there's like China where you play as a like a martial arts master, right? So yep. and, and other ones, Wild West, Middle Ages. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so... the Middle Ages is a scenario we cannot talk about. That's uh, the. That's okay. We can't talk about better the it. original Live Alive. <laughs> I'm just, okay, I'm so, just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But it's like, uh, yeah, go go for it. you're going. You're, you're talking about like you know the presentation is fantastic now, yeah. and the music is oh you gotta hear the soundtrack now. Uh, it's got uh, Yoko Shinomura, so you know her from Kingdom Hearts and Street Fighter Two. You know it's got her music in there, and now yeah. they've remixed it, and their sound a million times better than before. One of the, the the things of the original Live Alive that like a lot like that real like a lot of people kind of didn't like it was because of its visuals. Like it was a pretty late Super Famicom release, and like when it came out, like it the visuals were like its weakest like it, uh, aspect about it. It's, like it's kind of very flat. I know. Yeah, uh, it's really almost. flat looking. I know Alex like... actually uh, speculated that might be a big reason why it didn't get localized uh, back in the day because back then in the mid '90s or whatever. It was all about, like, each game had to be, like, an upgrade in visuals from the last game. And then, like, that one was competing with, like, Chrono Trigger or whatnot, and it just wasn't, it didn't look as good. So, that's speculation. It's just, like, the, the visuals might have affected its chances of getting localized back in the day because they weren't, like, the best at the time. Yeah. Well, speaking of visuals, like, you know, a lot of people see this, like... It's like it looks like a better HD 2D than say like Octopath Traveler. What do you think about that? I, I agree. What about how do you compare it to Triangle Strat? Uh it's about the same. Okay. Right. okay. Uh, what I can say is that if you played the original, um, the problem with the original graphics is that okay, in, in battle the characters look great, but if you're an outside of battle, it looked like uh, NES style Final Fantasy, which kind of dated by that point. You know what I'm saying? Everything looks flat. The sprites are too tiny. You know, the background looks kind of lifeless. That's kind of like the problem with the Super Nintendo version. Uh, another problem with the Super Nintendo version is that it explains absolutely nothing. So when you go into battle, you don't know what any of your technique does. It's just you know, you just kind of use it, and you and you know afterwards. But now the UI is really clear in in the remake because now you know what this technique does, what it does, and you know what kind of properties it has. Like like the menu or well, like yeah, a little the, like tooltip or something that tells you yeah okay it makes it makes a whole lot of difference on battle because in the original there is like no UI you literally have to press it for the battle command to show up and then you don't even know what the skill does. I wonder what does this do? Like when you hover over a skill, does it tell you what it does? Yeah, it'll tell you what it does. It'll tell you that this is a punch technique. I mean, you could kind of figure out by the technique name, but you know some some techniques are really. Awkward. Let's just say you're playing the Chinese uh, martial art master. If you play the original, all his technique was in Chinese names, and <laughs> you don't know what the hell it means. Like dragon, tiger, something, something. And you, what the hell does that mean? So, for people who haven't like don't know like much about Live Alive, like what is the battle system like? Is it turn based? Uh, uh it, it is a weird kind of grid turn based. You kind of move around, and you have like a charge bar in the bottom. And once the charge bar is fully filled up, then you can move. And you can move, you can do whatever. Well, how do you charge the charge bar? You uh, just wait. You just okay. wait. Okay. It charges. It's like an ATB bar. Okay. But it's like an ATB with a grid system. That's how I would explain it. And right. your technique has attacks different spacing, like on the grid. So maybe some attacks 2x2 squares in front of you, or maybe it's like 5 square away. So you can kind of take advantage of your spacing to hit enemies without getting hit at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like uh, for for people who like are are coming to this like page for the first time, like are there like any sort of tips or any advice you can tell them of like, hey, this is a, like it is a pretty different RPG than what you've probably played before. Like, uh, is there like any like starting or beginner tips that you have for them like when they first go into this game? Um, I think one of the things is if you ever played the Imperial China thing, uh, just focus on training one of the people. Don't don't train everybody. Uh, we'll tell you what the Imperial... We'll tell you all the four scenarios we can talk about first so that we don't go too far of ourselves. Okay. So we got Twilight of Edo, Japan. So in Twilight of Edo, Japan, you play as Oboro Maru. He is trying to rescue... I think he's trying to rescue somebody, and then what is it? How you get there is basically what makes the scenario unique. I mean, it's a very short scenario, but you can choose to kill everybody in the mansion, or you can choose to avoid combat and rescue the person you're you're hired to rescue. So you get a reward depending on what you do. Um, there's no reward for doing in between. You can kill like ten of them and just. And just trying to like finish it. There's no, there's no reward for doing that. So that's all trying to make his reward. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. Maybe your choices is kind of reflects upon you, but nobody likes to kill root because you had to kill even the innocent people that are not involved. Oh well. Uh, then there is the distant future where we where we heard Adam talk about a few seconds, few minutes ago about cube. You basically play a, like assistant robot that will go around and trying to meet the crew's commands. Like, oh yeah, this crew member needs help, and you need to find what they need help for. Uh, this scenario, I don't think it was that popular in the Super Nintendo version, because it was very... How, how do I explain it? Because in the Super Nintendo version, there's no objective marker. So it's a lot kind of hard, harder to figure out where to go, because you just kind of talk to this guy, then talk to this guy, just kind of keep talking to random people. But now there's an objective marker. It kind of changes the whole scenario completely. Okay. Uh, another thing that's different about his scenario is that he has no combat unless you engage in combat. So it's it's like, <laughs> imagine playing a scenario and it's like, oh, where, where's the combat in this? There is not. <laughs> unless you choose it. Okay. Um, yeah, every scenario is like very, very different from one another. So like, very uh, like, different. Yeah. Um, and we have the Imperial China, which we talk about it. Uh, this is about playing the old uh, martial art master who knows the uh, earthen heart fighting style, and he's really old, so he wants to pass on to a successor, and that's kind of like objective. So he goes around looking in the town to find uh, some disciples to train under him, so that you know his martial art doesn't die with his age, right? Uh What's funny about his scenario is that it's kind of like we're kind of like playing a video game version of Fist of Fury. Have you ever watched that movie, the one with Bruce Lee or Jet Li? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the exact same story structure. You know, a master god trained a disciple, and there's a whole revenge arc. You know, yeah. And then the Wild West scenario is that you're this um, was it? You're this uh, cowboy guy. I don't know, the Sundown Kid. You're like one criminal. You want. You went to this town, and you find out these guys are being oppressed by these bandits, and then you choose to help them. Uh, this scenario is kind of like watching a story of Seven Samurai. You know, you know mm. these guys can't can't help themselves, and so they need someone to defend them. So it's probably like Munificent Seven now. <laughs> so uh, this scenario is very short, but uh, what you do is you kind of have to place traps to get rid of the uh, 
what is it, the bandits. And depending on how you do it, it's kind of like how the battles will turn out. So those are the four scenarios you can cover. So is there anything that you want to talk about from each scenario that you're... Well, I, 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 like, I'm interested, like, um, how do you feel about the localization of it? Because it's, this is, like, the first time it's going to be, like, in English officially. Like, you, you definitely played, like, the, the fan translation of the original... Like how do you th- how do you like did they update the script at all or is it the, like exactly the same like uh, they took a, they took a lot of liberties but I, I think these liberties for the better um, there's a sneer that I can't talk about and uh-huh. <laughs> they have some really funny things that they say in there uh, there there's even some meme dialogue that you know it's referenced to other games too but you yeah know, I can't talk about the, that sneer mm-hmm. so I can't really yeah I, I, I think uh. I remember, I forgot who tweeted this the other day. I'm sorry if I, if I, for forgetting the name, but uh, someone did make a good point that like fan translations are like the the be all end all of like getting a game known and recognized. Like there there are still a lot of people who like when live alive previews went up, it's like oh what is this game? You know, like just because like a game got a fan translation doesn't mean it's like oh it's well recognized or well known now. Like why would you even officially release it? And as like a fan translation because it's like nothing will beat like. Uh, out of like a publisher or or like uh like actually marketing it and like to a wide audience like letting them know like hey this type type of game exists this is what the game is about compared to like a small niche like fan translation project that may get some word of mouth but it will never reach like that sort of like big big audience that like they just like show it in front of their face like hey this is a game that exists like, the uh, fan translation fan base is, like, super tiny. Okay, yeah. you have to look at it from... It's a, it's a, it, feel, it, feel, it, feel, it can feel or sound big at times because it is a big echo chamber. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I believe who said this was Chris Kohler, former Wired Thank editor. You. He, what he said was, seeing a lot of Live Alive reactions today that amount to, I never even knew this existed, which shows you why, but there's a fan translation is no substitute for a game being officially released in terms of actually getting it out to the largest possible audience. And yes. some, most people agree with this, but I saw some people say, like, are you saying fan translations are worthless? It's like, no, he, he's saying that there are a lot of people who will never pay attention to fan translations. And so, you know, getting them out Third. officially is going to be, you know, the, is, on, how do I want to put this? Is if you want to, if you, it, it, fan translation is it's kind of just reductive just to say, oh, it's already been fan translated. There's no reason to, to, for Nintendo to release this or whatever. Nah. It's, a, it's like it's like it's like a, a classic example is like one around the corner like trails to zero finally yeah. coming out like officially in the west yeah you know it's like and a, a lot of that 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 small community is like but there's already a fan translation now that's been out for a while yeah the the, the diehard kaseki uh nuts I'll call them, are gonna just like <laughs> we're like oh the, this game has been fan translated for years who cares but there's gonna be a lot of people who are gonna play that for the first time you know when it gets when it gets released you know on platforms on switch on pc on ps4 so that's know. why when uh, people were arguing oh why did they uh, go back and mm-hmm. start translating zero and azure well this is why it's like yeah i'm sure you don't care about um those getting official localizations but the fact of the matter is is that there are many, many people that just will not play those games unless they have an official Western release. Yeah, granted, it's kind of interesting in that case that it's based off of a fan translation, which, you know, it's not the first game to be get an official release based off a of fan translation. 
but but yeah there's being, yeah being inaccessible to other platforms like right. not everyone's gonna have like a device that like is i'm ready to go through the process of trying to implement this fan translation people patch. just want to buy this game on switch yeah. on the nintendo eShop and play it so. yeah they don't want to go to like oh i gotta go to dll site gotta go uh mm-hmm. get what put like uh currency in my wallet for dll site to get this uh, to get the original trails to zero uh a japanese release to implement the patch it's like just look same, nothing same thing, will beat same, same, just... thing with like, <laughs> same thing with a couple of years ago now like trials of mana you know mm-hmm. yeah obviously when it was fan translated it never had the name trials of mana but like you know getting the official release is worth it <laughs> so yes absolutely yeah, you just bring the game to a broader audience. Because mm-hmm. when I think about it, okay, there is only like a very, very small percentage of the player base that does pirating, maybe like 5% of the entire base or something. And you got to take that audience and reduce that by maybe even half because they would have to put down the work to put the patches and nobody wants to go through that shit. So that's how niche from translation community is. That's yeah. how I look at it. Anyways, mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that this game is getting an official release. Uh, yes, this is one of those games I had heard of, but just had never had the chance to play. So you know, hey, Nintendo's giving me a reason to play it in a way. Yeah, I, I love uh, it. You so. know, I really like Live Alive. I can't wait to replay it again. I have I've only played it maybe twice. I, I only. Uh, I love the original, so I, I maybe I'm biased here, but I know. I, no, I think I think, it, I think it's good. I think that's really good that like since because like going into this, like you already love the original, but like if they if they fucked up. Compared to the original, you would notice right away. But yeah, the, they but didn't the, fuck up. They just made yeah. the original like even better. It's like <laughs> this gives me hope that if when SquareSoft wants to or Square Enix wants to remake, you know, further games into the future with this kind of structure, I'm all for it. I mean, they just take the base game and just make it in a better presentation. Yeah, you know, I, I can. See I think that's really valuable. That like uh, because like you like like it's great that you and Pedro because you have uh, you have something to compare it to. So like if. If like if a diehard like fan of it is like really uh, like very satisfied with it with the work that they've done, that's a good sign and also a good sign from Paige's perspective. Like someone who is completely new, who's detached from like the legacy of this game, uh, like is going into it at like a fresh perspective and is enjoying herself. Like that's fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a win-win scenario. Yeah, Paige has said that she's really enjoying the game, and you know, review's not out yet, but you know. Paige hadn't actually had never heard of this game even before it released, and she just had she thought it looked cool and wanted to play it, and she's really liking it. So even though this game is from 1995 or whatever, uh, 94, she's yeah, really nice. enjoying it. So, um, but anyways, they have the was it the Dragon Quest HD 2D for? Yeah, the Dragon Quest 3 HD 2D stuff. Yeah, on the yeah, way. I think they're probably using this game to test out something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. That's just uh, around the corner on uh, July 22nd for that game. I'm, I'm going to pick it up day one, and I can't wait. Just hearing that like they nailed it. It's like it's like Live Alive is already like pretty awesome in my eyes, and just to see like, hey, they basically left it untouched, just but it just looks so good now. I'm like, yes, thank uh, you. Thank la- you. One, one last question. I've heard mixed things about the voice acting. Like, I both, played it with bo- Japanese voices. Yeah, that's the life. thing. I heard that the English voices, one, are just maybe not good overall. Maybe not terrible, just kind of mixed. But also I heard there's like some accents that are kind of weird. Like probably LA-based voice actors doing like a Chinese accent or something. And just kind of like, eh. <laughs> uh, Honestly, for a game like this, I would 
definitely not be against just turning voices off and pretending I'm playing it from like the nest. Or the, uh, is, there, is there actually a toggle to like turn voices off uh, in there, Chow? Yeah, you could turn off the toggle for voice acting. But okay. like I said, I, I played it with uh, Japanese voice and I thought they did a good job. But they use a lot of the same actors because you would be like, you would hear like, uh, was it Tomosaku Sugiya's voice in like four different scenarios playing four different <laughs> characters? So they're like reused the you know the same actors for a lot of scenarios, right? Uh, to be to be quite honest, voice acting in these like sprite based games, even if they are HD two D sprites, it's always kind of felt a little bit weird to me. Even in like Octopath Traveler or Triangle Strategy, um, just hearing voices coming out of sprites. Maybe I'm just old. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel you on that. I, uh, I get that. So I, I definitely, if if I hear a voice that is just like I don't like this, I'm just gonna turn it off and pretend I'm playing it. You know, from 20 years ago. Well, or whatever. well like, yeah, like for me, like it's just gonna be like it's kind of like uh, does this have a, a text speed uh, option, uh, Chow? For this one, can you like make the text instantly appear? Um, I think you can. I I never set the setting, so I don't remember. Okay. I, yeah, I well, remember you could turn the voices off, but I didn't. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I like. Dude, like how I play Sprite BC is like usually like voices off and like have all the text appear all at once. Yeah, it's faster, more efficient. Oh, well, you can also skip the events completely. So. I'm not, I know. I, I want to read what they're saying. I like, <laughs> but I, 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 I skim like you know. I I, I know, but now you're. I, I, I just read. I just, yeah, I just I'm read actually, very fast. Somewhat related. I'm actually kind of like stupidly worried that like the eventual tactics ogre remake is they're going to add voices and they're not going to be how like these characters sound in my head and it's going to ruin it like, uh, that's not uh, what I think denim sounds like it's not a, like i think the skip feature is not a terrible idea because there's a lot of scenarios that you can replay it to test the different outcomes and okay. you test the different outcomes skipping them instantly without having to watch the long intro adds up you know but could you imagine if they like re-release say like chrono trigger and then added voices Everyone has like uh, a different imagination of what like Marl will sound like or whatnot. <laughs> just like, uh, uh, is it just a... me or is uh, Adam's voice kind of getting robotic? He got a little by cube, I guess. No, he got he, he got he's fine now. But yeah, just t- tiny bit. But yeah, um, I was just gonna say, uh, Chrono is a Final Fantasy fourteen character. So he does not. <laughs> yeah, well, well, like uh, Adam, what do you think of like? Uh, Chrono Trigger gets an HD 2D remake, and the voice cast they use is like the European-based ones uh, for Xenoblade games. I wouldn't mind yeah, it. Like a, I mean, a British Chrono. Sure. Well, Chrono doesn't talk <laughs> anyway. Though, so. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, Dragon Quest. You know, I mean, their character resembles. Well, at the very least, Frog has to be uh, um... Vegeta. No, <laughs> he, he he speaks like old English. Yeah, but have you seen the ending? He looks like Vegeta at the end. Yeah, in the DS so, version. Sure. He needs Vegeta's voice. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I was going to say, I, I don't think you should play it without the voice acting. I think the voice acting is very good. I, oh, uh, in like, Japanese? Well, I, I mean, Japanese. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe uh, I think it adds a lot, so I don't okay. think you should miss it out. But yeah, I know, I, I, I know I, I, Paige I was saying the, the voice acting was kind of, just sounded a little off to her. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited uh, to get my hands on it, and uh, you know, I, thankfully, like if, it, if it's like anything like the original, it's like it's not not that long of an RPG, so it's not like enough mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, it's, a- it's all good. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, moving on. Thank you for that, Chow. Uh, Klonoa uh, sees new life on uh, modern platforms this week. Uh, I think Klonoa Fantasy Reverie has. It has both Klonoa 1 and 2, am I correct? Yes, that is correct. If I so remember Jim... correctly, I'm, I'm not very familiar with Klonoa. It's like 
Klonoa 1 got a re-release on Nintendo Wii that was a little bit different, and like this version of 1 is based off the Wii version and not the original, something like that? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. Okay. It, it's very clearly using some of the models from the Wii version as a base, but the overall art style has been uh, tweaked to be more in line with the uh, PlayStation 1 original, though it's obviously not going to be one-to-one. Okay. Like, when you have such a massive difference in fidelity, it's like it's really hard to kind of capture the same. But yeah, Jay, Jason Chow, t- t- tell me about Klonoa. You know, for people who don't know uh, who Klonoa is, uh, let them know who Klonoa is and what are these games. Um, so... Knoa is a 2.5D uh, platformer game. Uh, it's basically Namco's try at making their own mascot character, like Sega with Sonic and Nintendo with Mario. Um, you play as Kanoa, who has... What is it? He has a ring that can... What animal is Klonoa? Hmm? Yes. What, 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 what animal is Klonoa? I have no idea. He's a I can say he, lo- he looks like a cat, <laughs> but he's also not a cat, you know? Hmm. I, I don't know what he is. Cat, rabbit, skunk thing. <laughs> all right go okay continue <laughs> okay but yeah um so in in the first game uh Kanoa, um was it he hears a meteor crash or something he wants to check it out with his friend hu pao and hu pao becomes an object to power his ring which shoots uh wind bullets and with the wind bullets you can catch enemies you can use it to double jump you can use it to throw it at at things and that's basically how the game works um what is it? Let's see. We could talk about the sequel as well, which is basically exactly the same game. Um, I, they, I, like, think, I think they, that's not fair to Klonoa 2, because here's the funny thing. So, I'm I'm guessing you've played the series before, right, Chow? Yes, I have. I haven't until now. I have a lot of friends that have played through it, which is the reason I picked this up, to kind of like support the uh, series uh, potentially coming back, hopefully. It's one um, of their games, so I, I highly recommend it. Uh, there's so, one thing I forgot to mention, though. Anyway, let, let, let James finish his thought. Um, so it's like, you always hear people talk about Klonoa 1, because I think it was the one that sold better. Like, Klonoa 2 bombed so poorly, that's the reason why there's only been a Wii remake and nothing else in the last, like, 15 years. <laughs> Uh, I think Klonoa 2 is way, way better in the first game, and I it's wild that nobody really talks about that. But we'll I also right. agree with that sentiment. But the reason why I said they're the same is just their gameplay hasn't changed much. That's what I meant. Uh, a friend but... of mine described Klonoa 2 as having shitty Sonic Friends energy. Is that true at all? Yeah, <laughs> I... eh. yeah kind of. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so in 2, you... Uh, joined with a priest named uh, Lolo who uh, powers your ring and then there's a psychic that doesn't do anything unless you play two players and I don't have a friend to play with, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's uh, and Kloa. But I, I, there's also one thing I forgot to mention in the in the Switch version for the first game. Because it, the game, when it was remade on the Wii, they redubbed the game so that they got rid of the ju- gibberish and they redubbed it in English or if you buy the Japanese version, you know, it was redubbed in Japanese if you can if you don't want to play in, in the gibberish language. Uh, they got rid of the gibberish language. I think the reason they got rid of it, or not the gibberish, the Japanese or the English dub of it, because they figured that nobody cared about it, so why bother I, I, if, I don't know much about these games, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to play in gibberish. That's how I'd play it. Yeah, the, they, they had a gibberish. I'm just saying they they got rid of the actual like 
you know, actual language, you know, they dubbed it in English and they dubbed it in Japanese for the... But now they're back to gibberish? Yeah, so it's just the original audio. Yeah, that's kind of cool, actually, to, to be honest. Like, uh, it's, it's like playing Monster, Monster Hunter games with Monster Hunter language. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they got rid of that. Uh, I also think that the reason why they didn't want to redub the game is that in the second game, uh, some of the VAs have passed away already, so they oh. probably don't want to try to, you know, go and through negotiate the that. Okay, I, I mean, like, if the gibberish language is like the, the more in line with the spirit of the series, then yeah, one hundred percent. One of the uh, most uh, um, voted helpful reviews on Steam right now is just literally people posting the gibberish uh, uh, lyrics for an endgame song in two. That's fantastic. Yep. We're stepping in, okay. So how, how have they been? Uh, how have they treated like the re-release, like with the quality of the port, the enhancements, and all everything like that? I don't know which version you bought, uh, James. I bought the Switch version. I bought the PC version. Um, how's the frame rate? Uh, it kind of chugs sometimes, but not not bad enough that you kind of get annoyed. It chugs oh. on like you know. What's the What's the cap on Switch? Is does it, does it reach uh, sixty on Switch or just a cap to thirty normally? Um, it looks sixty to me, but it could okay. be thirty. My eyes are pretty bad. I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. okay, but I, I see it chugged where you know your gameplay is not going smooth. All of a sudden, you just kind of chugs a little bit. It happens in the intro. It happens in like chaotic scenes when background changes like rapidly, but not not jarring to the point that you don't want to play, right? Okay, and how, how's the PC release, James? Uh, so, the PC version of 1 is perfectly fine. I have absolutely zero issues. 2, on the other hand, has some pretty terrible frame pacing. Uh-oh. So maybe that's the same thing, because uh, what I'm mentioning is on 2. <laughs> it's not in okay. 1. Okay, okay. So yeah, um, it's, it's weird. I've seen some people say that even the PS5 version of 2 has frame pacing issues, and now I have like weird. a friend that says that either they haven't noticed it or it doesn't have it. Uh, one thing I did um, try was... So I played through one... I was intending to play both of these on my Steam Deck. I ended up playing just a little bit of one on my Steam Deck because my, my I Steam got... came in this week, by the way, just uh, as a oh, side yeah. note. Uh, um, I, got, I got the whole of the Steam Deck in my hands. Yeah. But yeah, so I ended up uh, playing most of the first game on desktop. Uh, I'm actually, like, choosing... Not just because I want to play it on Steam Deck, but I'm choosing to play 2 on Steam Deck because it makes the frame pacing a bit better. Because uh, Valve Software 60fps cap is really, really good at um, uh, cleaning up frame pacing issues. There's still some problems with Klonoa 2, but it is way better. It feels better running at 60fps on my Steam Deck than 144fps on my desktop because the frame pacing is that bad. Have the developers acknowledged this problem uh, nope. yet? Uh, nope. It's only yeah. been out a day and a half, so they okay. haven't really had much time. Yeah, uh, hopefully they clean that up. But uh, that's uh, that's something I'd like to play. Like I only, I only played, I think, a little bit of the first on PS1. I never got the Klonoa. This is all. Hey, I mean, I mean, you have a Steam Deck, so you don't have to yeah. worry on that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely want to pick it up and like support the series uh, for a new, for more of those to come out. And there's one thing I would want to say is I recommend turning off the tutorial. I think the most annoying thing they added in the remake is or the port is that they added tutorials for everything. They treat you like an idiot now. It's like, oh, did you know you can press B to jump? 
Did you know you can use Wimport to catch enemies? When you play the original game, it explains you nothing. And you just uh, <laughs> figure it well, out. Well, actually... Um, it, well, except for Polka telling you that you can double jump. That's about mm-hmm. it. And there's definitely more than that, but whatever. Because <laughs> I, well, I did watch, uh, like... Uh, I did watch some, uh, like, because um, I was curious, like, what the reception was for uh, Quinoa 2, like, generally, and I did watch a few YouTube videos, and no, like, uh, overly tutorialized was very much a problem with the original Quinoa 2. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think so, man. I, I played, like, this one, I was like, I gotta turn off the tutorial. It was so annoying. It even pops up in the first game, too. It's like, everything you do, it's like, tutorial is like, here, here, here. It's like... Do they people, treat people like idiot now? Imagine playing Super Mario, and they tell you everything. It's like, did you know you could hold Y to run? Did you know you could press B to jump and it kills enemies? It's like, yeah. can you imagine how annoying that is? Mm. Well, I want to try these out, and so the, hopefully they're all fixed up. That's what I think. But uh, yeah, hopefully it's doing well. I, I know like people are talking about like at some point in Steam, like it was like at the top sellers list or something like that. Or, or it was like at the front page, but... Hopefully these uh, these sell well enough for you know the, for new entries in the series, and I, I think a lot of people really really like have fond memories of Klonoa from their childhood, including Chao here. But I've heard it from a lot of other uh, mutuals as well. This is so, this is good. just a small little note. It's kind of interesting that like if you want to play this game like on consoles and buy a physical version, it's only available in Europe. In the West, there's no physical version. It's, in, in, it's, in North America, so it's absolutely fucked up. That there is that they've released an Xbox version of this. There's an Xbox physical copy, but not in the one region in the world where Xbox actually is like super successful. I don't understand Bandai Namco <laughs> most of the time. So you yeah, know, I, when I hear, when I hear that, I'm like, people, yeah. I've seen a few people importing from Europe because they just want the physical version. So. Mm. Yeah, don't even get me started on the uh, apparent uh, issues with. Um, regional uh, pricing on steam it's huh. like 50 pounds or something like that it's Which, bad yeah it's like I, I like pretty much everyone i know from europe that's bought the pc version it's just bought it from like green man gaming or uh games planet because it's like not only is it like 15 percent off the uh, u.s price but the u.s price is already cheaper than the regional price that they that they'd have to pay so it's like Highway robbery. All right, uh, is that uh, all we have to say about for Klonoa for now? Not. Uh, let's move on. Okay, James, uh, you've been working on the Cuphead DLC that's finally come out this week. After the, it's been quite some time now since they anna- announced this with uh, Cuphead: The Delicious Last Course. Uh, I want to play this. I remember when Cuphead first came out. I beat. The original in one sitting. It was a very intense, I think it's Saturday or Sunday morning, but I did beat it in one sitting. Um, so I do intend to come back at some point and uh, try, maybe try to do a one sitting of the delicious last course. How has that been? Uh, it was really good. Had a lot of fun. I beat it in three hours. Yeah, but I, that, that, that's, I think that's, is that an okay size for like a, what, what it offers? Did you have fun with yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the DLC was $8. I yeah. feel like I got my money's worth. That's, a, like, that's I, a very, very fair price for the amount of work they put in to, for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I've definitely seen a lot of people say, man, this is great. 
it, it sucks that it took five years to get this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things because like it's the the type of like the development process for that game is intense because it's like yeah. everything is pretty much handmade frame by frame uh, on that. Uh, did you try out the new uh, character with that DLC? I should have, but I just I just didn't. Okay, okay. And I I remember hearing that like it was weird how you like access that character because you have to like equip that character onto like. Uh, Cuphead or Mugman? I forgot the <laughs> player two person. Was it Mugman? Um, Cuphead and Mugman. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And like, like, yeah, like, to, in order to like select that character, you have to equip her into like one of those two character slots, and like it'll turn them into her or something. Have you seen any of that? Um, I'm sorry. Can you can you ask that again? <laughs> so, like, you know, like uh, when you. Uh, for Cuphead and Mugman, like you can like equip like different like power ups to like modify their shots, right? Mm. You and, can like, you can equip different shots on um, on a chalice as well. You just cannot equip a charm, okay? Because the cookie itself is a charm. So if oh, by okay. that, it's what lets you. Um, yeah, I might have got it mixed up on like how, how uh, people like describe that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously, without you know spoiling anything, like. Uh, is there like any like particular like highlights or like things that like stuck out to you with the new content that like really surprised you, or is it just like yeah, it's still like it's still as challenging and as punishing it's, as like the base game? It, it's Cuphead. It's, it's like Cuphead. it's 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 really good. There, there's a lot of really like interesting and unique boss fights. Is it like structured like it's like a different island now that like you yes. visit? Okay. Yes, the game outright calls it Inkwell Isle Four, so it's basically a fourth zone. It's a little bit, I'd say it's a little bit bigger than an island in the base game, but not by too much. You so need to like, have uh, beaten the base game to access it? No, no. All you need to do is have unlocked one of your supers, which you do by doing the mausoleum, because you need to have met Miss Chalice. Oh, okay. That's cool. I mean, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, uh, without spoiling, is the final boss uh, as... <laughs> is it as fucked as the original? <laughs> I've seen some people say that the final boss for them was harder. I I Ooh. don't think it was as hard for me, but okay. also uh, there is a new uh, shot type you can get called the uh, crack shot. That uh, it's a straight shot that deals like normal damage, but if you don't hit an enemy with it, it'll like split off into a smaller shot that does slightly less damage, but will home in on an enemy. Okay. So there's definitely a few things that they've added that aren't explicitly in easy mode, but have definitely made things a little bit more manageable. But it still has like the same like mechanics of like, hey, if there's like a, like a pink or purple like object or projectile, you can like jump on top of that. Specifically uh, pink. There, specific well, there's pink. one boss where there's this uh, attack he does where it's like there's these like pink and purple clouds. You can oh, okay. only carry the pink ones. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to remember, it's like if it was pink or purple. It's been a while, but okay, because that, that would have messed me up. Um, I was like, can I? Huh. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to check that out when I have time. Um, anything else you want to talk about with Cuphead? Like, or there are there anything? Like, what do you want to see the studio do next after this? Uh, I don't know. Um, obviously, I think they probably want to continue doing the hand drawn aesthetic stuff, but I, but actually. I want them to do something that's more traditional video game like visuals because 
obviously, like, the aesthetics of Cuphead is the one thing most people talk about, but I don't think enough people give it respect for just being a damn good, um, um, not running, we'll say run and gun. It's very responsive, it's very snappy. It's very responsive, it's very snappy. The boss designs are all very inventive with really unique gameplay. Like, even in the base game, like, pretty much every boss was completely unique yeah i love the face change transitions that they do a lot of the like unique animations like oh you're going to like the next form of the boss and the way they go into there yeah uh, really really cool yeah Yeah. so it's like i see that and it's like i don't want to have to wait six years for them to hand animate every single aspect of your next game maybe i'm the odd one out here but i would much rather them just do a normal visual style so it only takes three years to see what else that they can make yeah i mean and also like it like i wonder like how sustainable it is to like to keep on doing that because it takes such a long time to like uh develop like it's uh, the i kind of with you on that uh, and, and it also keeps that style fresh because like when they let's say they do like a no more quote-unquote normal video game like in terms of like development process and style like like it, it'll make like the next the next one when they revisit that style and process like that much more special. It's kind of like how some people have started to like kind of wait on like the HD two D formula from various uh, Square Enix published projects because like it was very novel when Octopath Traveler came out, but now that we have more and more and more of these releases coming in, like to some people like like that magic is starting to get lost because it's starting to really really be more prevalent in more projects. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me about the Cuphead stuff, though, with the visuals, is that it's very clear that the main reason this took so long was because of that visual style. Because even though there's less bosses overall in the DLC, you can tell just looking at each of the bosses, and like the developers have even outright said this, that there is probably more animation frames in the DLC than the entire base game combined. Wow. So it's like it's clear that they really like and, and and I appreciate it. It looks amazing. It's like probably the best looking game I've played this year, which I guess is kind of cheating because Cuphead was the best looking game I played in like <laughs> 2017. But uh, I mean, it's fair. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's I, like, I, like when they first said this is like going to be eight bucks, I'm like, that feels like a steal <laughs> almost. Yeah, I think like how many copies of Cuphead sold? I want to say it was like seven million now. Wow, is it that much? I haven't really ch- checked up on uh, sales. Uh, uh, they said that they sold five million in twenty nineteen. So, I'm, so it's it's almost definitely past seven million now. I, I think I saw that headline somewhere. I'm trying to find it, but it's like, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked because again, like if it was already at five million like three years ago. It definitely seems like the type of game that has pretty good legs. Yeah. Good word of mouth. Yep. All right, cool. That, that wraps up what we've been playing this week. Uh, Adam and I continue to chug along in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, Chow with Live Alive uh, Remake. Uh, both James and Chow on the Klonoa Fantasy Reverie re-releases. And uh, James uh, beating the Cuphead DLC. So we have preview pieces that I wrote for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Paige did for Live Alive. And now for the news, 
Uh, if you thought there wasn't enough Square Enix related uh, news last week, boy, do I have to tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Square Enix, for some reason, will not let up on the news. They, they're like, we will monopolize the news for, for these two months, and you, no one will stop us. Um, we have a new look at Valkyrie Elysium uh, and a release date that is coming out on September 29th for the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 versions, and the Steam release will be coming later at November 11th. Uh, the surprise that uh, came out with this news as well is specifically for the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 versions, there's a deluxe edition for Valkyrie Elysium that will also have a port of Valkyrie Profile Lenith that can that will also be released separately standalone on the same day that it comes out. And this port is uh, specifically mentioned to be a port of the P- PlayStation Portable version of Valkyrie Profile Lenith. Uh, Adam, you and I uh, love Valkyrie Profile. I know you love, love, love Valkyrie Profile Lenith. Uh, Tell us about the the news here. Okay, so did you mention that the Steam version of Elysium is coming out in November? Yeah, November eleventh, and that and that uh, that will not have Valkyrie Profile yeah. Lenith. There's there's no Steam version of Valkyrie Profile Lenith coming out. Yeah. Or, so uh, first of all, uh, it's kind of kind of interesting, awkward maybe that like we're, we're we're it's been a while since we've had a delayed Steam port. Like and you know, well, like what was the last Square Enix game that had a delayed? Well, I guess, you know, like, we have, you know, Octopath Traveler uh, or uh, Brave the Default, where they kind of have, like, these exclusive windows. Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe even Triangle Strategy, almost. Like, I well, think we're, like, anticipating that. It hasn't yeah. been announced, but I feel it's, like, almost expected. Kind of, like, sort of, like, this sort of game that wasn't... Anyways, uh, it's coming out on mm-hmm. Steam in two months, which I thought was kind of awkward. Yeah, Valkyrie Profile, the original game. If you're not familiar, it's a PlayStation 1 game, and... Uh, it came out on PSP later as Valkyrie. So the original game is called Valkyrie Profile. Then it got a sequel called Valkyrie Profile Silmaria, who was one of the Valkyries. Silmaria is one of the name of the Valkyries. And then they re-released the original called Valkyrie Profile Lenith. So like they added the subtitle Lenith because that's the Valkyrie in their first game. So that's the PSP port. And uh, I can get into the weeds a bit about like the differences yeah. between the versions. Um, okay, sure. Uh, so... The original Valkyrie Profile, it's kind of one of those interesting cases back in the day where it released in Japan, and then when it came to the West, not only was it localized, but it actually had like several like bug fixes and small tweaks here and there to like improve the game. And they, everyone agrees that it's pretty much a better version, the Western version, because of bug fixes, item sorting, or maybe not item sorting, but it had a couple of different changes to it made. Um, and then when they released the PSP version later, that version was based off of the Japanese PlayStation 1 version, not the English version. So kind of like those bug fixes were kind of like undone. Yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, I was wondering why they were back again, because I, I played the original yeah. too. I played the original in Japanese as well. Uh, there's one thing that really bugged me, is like when you fight those endgame bosses, they have their own theme, and when you fight them in Secret Dungeon, you do not hear their theme anymore, and it's like, what is going on? Here? I remember, I think it's Barbados, is that the pirate's name? Like, that boss fight is pretty much completely different now. Um, and uh, There's a few other things, I want to say there's item sorting in the PS1 version, and not in the PSP version, or something like that. I might be misremembering, but you know, like small things. But anyways... Um, so the port that's coming is based off of the PSP version. 
The PSP version also had like a sort of a sprite filter on it where it looks a little bit smearier than the PlayStation 1 version. And I know some people based on that alone are like, this version is garbage. You know, PSP version, slight smear, no way. But it seems like this port that was announced, which is coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, it's based off the PSP version, they say so, but it doesn't seem to have the smear. So it seems like it's not just pure emulation. It seems yeah, like there were a few screenshots yeah, yeah. released for it. And some people have noted, like, hey, if this is the PSP version, but it doesn't have the smear, so that means it's actually, like, a port. <laughs> like, they actually changed, they actually developed a slight port of this for these platforms. It's not coming to Steam, which is a little bit interesting. And some people are wondering, like, doesn't Sony have, like, an emulator for, like, the they had, like, the, the, the Castlevania PSP games that never got released anywhere off of PS4 and... Uh, a few others, like Patapon, I think. Obviously, that's a Sony game. But like, maybe people are wondering, maybe they're using that Sony emulator, which is why it's not on Steam. Um, I don't know. But yeah, but yeah there's also going to be like uh, features like Rewind and Quick Save uh, coming to this uh, Lenneth re-release yeah. as well. Um, Valkyrie Profile Lenneth, like three years ago, also got a mobile version. And uh, I've played a little bit of that version. I haven't beaten it. I actually probably will now. Uh, that version has the higher quality like character art um it's like high res character art it's the same character art but it's higher quality and it has a few other functions like uh that one also has like a quick save and things uh i know some people one person in our rpg site discord actually was kind of like annoyed that the new version coming out for playstation was not based off the mobile version clearly based off the character art like so he's kind of annoyed that now the mobile version has the best character art and none of the other versions will have it sort of thing. And there's um, no way to really like mod it in. Like, like, if the, like it would be a different story like if Lenneth, uh, this uh, Valkyrie Profile Lenneth re-release is coming to Steam because maybe there would have been, would have been an easier like avenue to mod it, uh, those in, but that's not clearly the anyways, case here. anyways, these are all kind of like nitpicking like small things between yeah. the differences between <laughs> the versions. The bottom line is, I'm probably actually going to write up a piece on this, Valkyrie Profile is an excellent, excellent game, and it's unlike any other RPG. And I don't say that lightly. There are no games that are quite structured like Valkyrie Profile. Like, name one, Josh. Like, that has the same sort of, you get, like, 18 time units or whatever that you can spend on exploring dungeons or doing vignettes or or what have you. And, like, the way the chapters proceed and the way the battle system works and that you train up units and then you send them out to Valhalla for points and things like that. No other game works like that, as far as I'm aware. And some people, some games have tried to... <laughs> I, can't. Uh, I can't. Yeah, some games have tried to, like, ape the battle system, which is sort of like this... Um, it's not real-time, but you press buttons on characters with a sort of rhythm to it to try to get them to line up well to perform combos. Some games have tried to emulate that, uh, for example... Uh, Namco X Capcom. Um, there, so there was one, the Twilight... There was, there was, uh, Indivisible uh, was one. In the uh, Indivisible. Exist, exist, Ar- exist Archive. Exist which, Archive, yeah, that's what I was thinking Which is actually made by Triace. I haven't played that game. You have. Apparently it's not very yeah. good. <laughs> it's, 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 it's okay-ish. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Valkyrie Profile is a very, very unique game. Um, I love it a lot. The one thing about it that some people might, might be a sticking point is that it's very, very, very almost impossibly hard to get the true ending without following a guide yeah, because it's, yeah. it's you you the true ending you have to have like a certain point value fall into a certain range at a certain time and you have to meet certain flags along the way with certain characters so it's very tricky um i think you can normally 
do most of the step right except for the last couple steps the last couple steps is kind of like totally out there well the thing is it's actually kind of very interesting to me is that i won't get into the weeds but in the game you are basically subservient to odin and if you are just a good little valkyrie and uh, and uh and just a pure servant to odin you cannot get the best ending but however if you disobey him too much then Freya will get really mad and you get the bad ending. So if, in order to get the it's best hilarious. ending, you're going to have to like disobey him enough, but not too much where you're like, uh, and yeah, there's a little like a point value. I forget what it's called. It's got a weird name. Um, the point value. It's like purification or something like that. Do you remember, Chow? I, I remember, I remember. What it is, but every it's, time it, like, you finish a chapter, they evaluate what you did. Yeah. I remember from the, like the original, it's like a, like the, the phrases weird purification. Yeah. Like, uh, like available or something like that. Yeah. When I play the game as a kid, I always I always fucked up with this part because they always like you didn't. It's like you didn't do this. You didn't do this. Like what the hell did I didn't do? I beat the missions. Like well, no, you're, you're, supposed you're not your supposed to, you're not supposed to take the loot at the end. You're supposed to give it to Odin. Uh, like <laughs> oh, it's like I supposed to no, give but, up my characters. Uh, practically speaking, though, you should take all the loot. Just literally take all of it. Fuck Odin. Um, but. uh it's a really interesting game. That's like the one thing about it that I think is still interesting. It just kind of as a practical game, it gets a little bit odd. But uh, anyways, it's coming to plat- to PS uh, PlayStation platforms, uh, not Steam. I wish it was coming to Steam. Um, now Valkyrie Elysium. So yes, that's the other thing. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, the uh, side. Uh, I think the new tr- the new showing was better than the original than the announcement for sure. That. It still looks like maybe a little bit kind of janky to me the combat it's an i think of it like a, like a it's almost like a, a smooth running dragon guard three wow, <laughs> i've seen people <laughs> compare it to dark souls uh, uh dark souls. i've seen people i don't know it looks way faster than that yeah um, i don't think it's uh, i don't know if there's any sort of like stamina at all but um but yeah so valkyrie weird. elysium i've seen people ask i've never played a valkyrie game do i need to play valkyrie profile before valkyrie elysium and the answer is I don't think Probably so. Not. It looks like Probably not. It looks like it's just a spin-off, which is why it's got a different title. In the in the, in the numbered Valkyrie profile series, which of which there's only two, um, there are three Valkyries, Leneth, Silmaria, and Hrist. And they all have very distinct designs. There are two Valkyries shown in the new game. None of neither of them are named. On the website, one of them is called Valkyrie and one of them is called Question Question Question. Um, that's like the dark skin, dark armor Valkyrie. And like, she sort of resembles Hirst, but not really. I know some people thought it was her, but not really. It doesn't look quite the same. So I feel like it, it's just a spinoff. No, no similar characters. Obviously, like Odin is still there, you know, North Mythology. Yeah, but he looks completely different. Yeah, he looks very different. Completely different. Like long, flowing hair. This, this almost feels like an alternate universe. Right. Uh, so, I, I see it as a reimagining. That's yeah, okay. so it doesn't seem like it's the type of game where you have to play Valkyrie Profile at all. Um, but yeah, you do see like RPG. a little bit. There are Ein Harjar. They actually pronounce yeah. Ein Harjar. I always pronounce it Ein Harjar because that's how they pronounce it in Valkyrie Profile. But I think in the trailer they pronounce it like Ein Harjar. Like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I was trying to remember Norse name like, or Norse I'm, I'm always just pronounced as Ein Harjar, and that's yeah. it. Uh, no, no matter what anyone tells me, it's like ah, don't, don't stop. No. <laughs> to me, my noble Ein Harjar is like a very. And that's, and that's, uh, that someone's going to say Ein Harjar. It's like yeah. yes, Ein Harjar. Yeah. Anyways, if you're not familiar, Ein Harjar are basically soldiers who have died 
they have now become souls and they now fight alongside the Valkyrie's side. And so they seem to exist in there. They do exist in Elysium. They showed, showed a few of them. There's like an archer lady. There's like a big sword guy. They have names. I don't remember them off the top of my head. Um, and in the original Valkyrie profile, the Anheriar stories are really cool and really great. Very tragic. It's like a theater of tragedy. Um, because they all uh, died. Argrim is one of my favorite like story arcs. I yeah, just, he's, he's practically the main character. Close to that, that they didn't continue it. Like, oh my god! But yeah, so they they exist in some form. They seem to fight alongside you in some way. We don't really know the details, but they're there. It's, the trailer also showed like some traversal things. Like there's like a I don't know what you call it. Like there's like a warpy jumpy thing. Uh, so it is. Yep. Yeah. So it, it seems like you're gonna have like explorable 3d it's an action rpg zone so that's pretty different from previous games which are more turn-based um and otherwise yeah it seems to it seems to have other elements of norse mythology they talked about one of the four treasures gugnir which is a spear um and things like that it showed fenrir who is like a god wolf thing um i think in some mythology some versions of the mythology fenrir is actually like the son of loki is that right yeah, so um, the son. Um, there is the um, what's it? He also has a daughter, which is Hela. Yeah, I need to brush uh, up my Norse mythology. And there, and he also, I don't know. Uh, the Mer- the Midgard serpent is also. Mm-hmm. Who who gives the Midgard serpent? Does anyone know? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna say, not in the Valkyrie profile games. We either have to fight the uh, Midgard serpent. Yeah, and then you you get in Norse mythology. There's like Muspelheim and Jotunheim and all these right. Heims and worlds. And anyways, Valkyrie Profile kind of has its own little version of it. And obviously, some elements are here. Um, I'm interested in this game. I'm kind of like gonna go into it with subdued expectations. I'm kind of expecting yeah. it to be like a B game, like not high budget. You know, some of the character models and animations are, seem a little bit stiff to me. But uh, I'm just cautious about it. I'm not, I'm not cautiously optimistic. I'm like cautious. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm interested just because. When, what was the last Valkyrie game? The DS game? I guess we got the mobile port of the original, but it's been yeah. like more than a decade, so I'm curious for sure. Um, I'm kind of a little bit more excited for it now. Like the first show it, was kind of terrible, but the second showing when they add the UI, it kind of makes a whole lot of difference. Yeah, it's you better. Know, <laughs> I was just going to say, with three months, they make all these improvements, and there's still plenty of time left. You know, maybe there uh, is some hope. I, I wonder if, like, the Dance is, like, a really old build of the game, and, like, there's a more polished uh, later uh, build of the game. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just glad it's a, it's a better showing. It's not, like, enough to make me go, oh, yeah, Valkyrie's back, but... Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested. Like, I, I, I was already going to play it uh, when they first showed it off, just because, you know, yeah. I'm curious about it, but this one at least makes me go... Well, it, it doesn't look like a terrible time entirely. Like unlike the first showing, it's like I don't know, <laughs> I really don't know. This one's like okay, maybe. I, I I just hope if anything, I just hope if they're gonna do. And, uh, I have to imagine they're doing Anheria stories, and I hope if nothing else, those stories are interesting and good. I, I hope they're not like too too yeah, bad, like that's... every bad implementation. I think Valkyrie Profile Two is still a great game. Some people think it's better than the original, which like. Talk I like pure, the combat. If you talk pure combat, it probably is, to be honest, with like yeah. the rune system and the breaking and whatnot. But the fact that they turned Iron Harriar basically literally into weapons you find in the ground, just that was really disappointing to me. Yeah, that was that was not good. So at least, at least this one, it seems like the, have, the, 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 the 
Yeah, I see like their actual characters. Yeah, they they showed several of them, and then uh, yeah. uh, so so I'm 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 eager for that. Yeah. So yeah, best of luck. I yeah, just late September. <laughs> I guess while I'm watching my oh. friend play uh, Kuro no Kiseki too, I'll be playing this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the Steam version. I you know. Uh, no. maybe, maybe maybe if time allows, maybe like I don't know, I'll go play through the console version and review that. Maybe who mm-hmm. knows. We'll see. We'll see. And, uh, I don't know exactly what my, what my calendar looks like after Xenoblade Chronicles Three when when it comes to games. And that's just my focus for right now. Um, Square Enix once again. Uh, they've uh, shared a lot of info for the Crisis Core re-release or the Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII reunion. Um, the detail, you know, they they kind of sort of recapped what we knew about like its initial announcement. Like showing off, like you know, the actual character renders for Zack, Angel, Genesis, and showing you know, like like it'll have a revamped combat system. But then they also like had like a round of interviews uh, to several outlets in Japan, and a lot of uh, people uh, went and summarized that. Uh, just uh, tell us uh, a bit about what uh, Square Enix had to sh- uh, say about Crisis Core this week, Adam. So yeah, so they. They put up like a blog post on the public blog that kind of described uh, some of the game. Some of it was a recap of the uh, of the debut trailer and whatnot, and but the rest of it was kind of ex- uh, explaining, you know, other elements of the game that have been tweaked uh, since. So let me let me pull it up here. So yeah, it introduces the main characters, which is basically Zach, Angel, Sephiroth, uh, Aerith, and uh, Genesis Gact. Um, and then the visual <laughs> updates, but like in terms of the gameplay, and this is where this is the thing where some people are wondering: is this more of a remake? Because not only was it like a visual facelift, but they're also tweaking the combat as well. And it's like, well, if they're tweaking the visuals and they're tweaking the combat, how how how, how far do you have to go for it to be? Yeah, a remake? yeah, yeah. Before before we go into that, like I just want to mention, like uh, for for Battle specifically, like the uh, they mentioned in the interviews, and I'll. Uh, I was just getting to this. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll read like what uh, Gamatsu like translated like from the interviews. Uh, one of the bullet points was saying, like, battles have also been significantly enhanced mm-hmm. with the idea of improving the tempo. Zack's attacks can now be connected in combos, and magic and abilities can now be selected via shortcuts. By abolishing some of the digital mind wave cutscenes. So remember, like, that there's, like, a slot machine at yeah. the corner during uh, Crisis Course things. So that's what uh, that, that's what it's referring to. So there were, like, sometimes, like, when uh, the slot machine connected several, like, things, it would, like, have a cutscene to, like, show, like, an ability... Or something, so that they uh, remove some of those cutscenes, so uh, battles are more smooth. And then some limit, uh, like limit breaks and summons uh, that previously activated immediately with the digital mind wave slots can now uh, can now be like activated at your own discretion instead of being activated automatically as soon as the slots hit that. Yeah, they also explained in the um, there's an IGN interview as well in English. Uh, there, there's going to be more ways to like combo abilities together. Not only that, but like the camera has been pulled back and the camera control is different. Again, on the original game, you had to do like the claw camera with the R and L buttons because of the PSP. So, mm-hmm. so that's different. Uh, but yeah, so it seems like they made tweaks both visually and, uh, I mean, obviously visually, but also with gameplay. However, they he, they said the producer. Let me get the producer's name. Said in the IGN interview, they're calling this a remaster, uh, not a remake. Because like story cutscenes and whatnot, while they will be redubbed in English, like new voices and everything, they're identical. 
Like the story is identical. They say there's going to be no new story elements. I, I wouldn't put it past them if there was like some post credit scene or something. For- yeah, they did. They did mention the like you know like uh, they put like some like a uh, like uh, like additional flair, like not additional flair, but ma- more consistency in some of the cutscenes of like like the Buster Sword design. Oh is, like, yeah, things like that. Faithful like that. But in so terms just- of like in terms of like if you were to watch a movie version of the PSP game. In terms of like the dialogue and the scenes, it seems like it's going to be identical, other than you know a visual facelift. Um, mm-hmm. But they're calling it a remaster just because it's it's no it's no different. Uh, the producer's name is Mariko Sato, who's developing or producing this game. Uh, they did say that the PC version, they actually gave some numbers here, which is kind of surprising. They're targeting oh, yeah. 120 frames per second. Oh yeah, the console versions will be 60. They didn't say anything for Switch, although it is coming to Switch. They said they said there'll be quote unquote differences in yeah. the Switch's resolution and yeah. frame rate. Um, <laughs> Just funny, but yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure if there's much else to say. We know it's got some pretty significant adjustments to the combat, yeah. and obviously the visual facelift is pretty big. Are they changing the voice actors in Japanese too, or is it just the English cast? No, I, I think that I think Japanese voice actors are the same. They even mentioned like I think one of like the Japanese interviews mentioned like they even brought up like, hey, was like having Gak uh, involved again? Was there like any like any obstacles and like having Gak still be involved like yeah, make the releasing this game tricky? It's like uh, no, that was never the case. Like uh, Gak was actually already fully voiced in the original, so like we don't have to do any additional voice acting with Gak for this re-release. He's he's all good. Like we've. You've sorted that out. Uh, they're probably in the back of the right. So they're like, "Thank God, we just got him out of the way. <laughs> we, were, we were already done with him. Um, yeah, we don't need to uh, call him for, for more." Yeah, because, because you know, Gak is a big, big like you know celebrity in Japan, so it would be a substantial amount of money to get him involved again um, mm-hmm. with the re-release. If we had to, like, to do new lines or anything. So, yeah, this yeah. is coming out this winter for pretty much every platform, right? So it's kind of interesting to see yeah. this game come to like Switch and stuff when you know. No other game in this Final Fantasy redo version is coming. Uh, yeah, they did. They did. Uh, they did have like a, a round of interviews as well about uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the second part in that Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. re, remake trilogy. Um, the, the some of the the key things they mentioned is like the reason for the delay in announcing uh, Rebirth was because they weren't sure whether it was going to be a two part work or trilogy, and also uh, they wanted to like. Uh, uh, like reassure people that like they're not cutting out any locations from the original in like the the new trilogy of FF7 games. Like uh, th- there might be like some reorganization, but they they specifically mentioned that they're not cutting out any location from the original in them, which is interesting because because we, we thought that we've like uh, I, I was originally led to believe I don't know about others, but like I thought there'd be a more slimmer version of them because of the scope of them. Yeah, and I thought they were gonna. Let go of some of the more like optional areas, but I guess not. So, but, like, I wonder if like in one of these upcoming games, will you be able to go to like Wu Tai and Hole? Yeah, or not so kind of a side area in the original. But and they also yeah. said, uh, you know, they put it on PlayStation Five only, mainly for the solid state drive. Yeah. Um, that's... So in the original game in Final Fantasy VII Remake, you got plenty of those like crawl spaces. Which are not so sneaky, like loading screens, basically. Uh, so I wonder. This the second game seems to be a little bit more. Have they said explicitly that it's going to be more open? 
Or yeah, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I I, th- I think it's more of an assumption, but I mean, I'd have to imagine like if it's going to be like more open areas. Um, I mean, in the trailer, you even outright see like a kind of compass thing on the top. So it's yeah. like, it, 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 even if they haven't outright said it's going to be more open, they've basically all but said it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so we'll see how that comes together. Uh, that that yeah, one of the uh, <laughs> one of the bullet points here from Gamatsu about the the interview uh, recap is. Uh, as for whether the, uh, if the game will be open world or not, this will be announced with the inf- next information release. Cool. So well, there you go. So yeah, so the, a little bit more info on the upcoming Final Fantasy uh, Crisis Core and Rebirth there. Um, we got a new, uh, uh, finally, uh, official confirmation uh, and release date trailer, trailer in the West. Well, actually, I don't know if this is in the West or not, uh, but at least uh, we, we got Western confirmation that the Deal Field Chronicle will also be coming to the West on September 22nd. They released a release date trailer in Japanese. I don't know if that was... uh, Let me explain. This is sort of awkward. I've actually been kind of like confused about this. It's not like a big deal. I'm kind of wondering just why. So last weekend, Square Enix had like some YouTube Japanese show. It wasn't like a Square Enix stream. It was some just Japanese show that they were featured on introduced that Dealfield is being released on September 22nd for all platforms and they released like information on like the special editions in japan and whatnot um and at the time i was like oh okay so we'll probably get you know a press release next week in english you know it's a, it's a holiday weekend in the west i assume it's just gonna be a few days they still haven't sent anything um but uh they the merch account for square enix's western like branches tweeted hey we got a collector's edition for deal field you can buy it on our store it's like 170 bucks you get like a whole ass board game. <laughs> yeah, that's really fucking cool. That collector's edition looks bobber. Uh, and, actually, for that board game. And while I haven't said isn't it, it's, like, go ahead. Isn't it like a hundred and seventy dollars for yeah. that collector's edition yep, of the yep. board game? Yep. It's like <laughs> that's all it's a lot. But but hey, Labyrinth of Galleria's uh, limited edition also comes with a board, oh, game, board game, but it's only ninety dollars. Oh damn! There we go. The shade. <laughs> but um, the uh. The um, merch account tweeted this, but like they haven't uploaded the trailer in English. They haven't tweeted about it. the The official English Deal Field Twitter account hasn't tweeted since March when it was announced. Um, they haven't put anything up on their blog post. They haven't put anything up on their press site. However, do you think, the... they, do you think they remember that that English Twitter exists for the game? Maybe, <laughs> Maybe <forgot>. not. <laughs> so, I wonder if that's a uh, what's his name. Uh, the the social media guy is it Sunil? Like I, someone needs to just remind him, like, hey, do you, is this your account? You should probably tweet something on it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, go DM him. <laughs> uh, anyways, they did go to the Steam page and update the the date on that to September twenty second, and they have a little post there that describes some bonus early purchase stuff, like you get weapons and early access and whatnot. It's just kind of very loosey goosey in terms of how they like confirm the English date. There's still no English trailer. You know, whatever. Um, so yes, it, the date is not, not, not really in question. It's the fact that they just kind of have it like they just kind of almost like snuck it under under the door or something. Like here it is. Oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to mention like both Valkyrie Elysium and Dealfield Chronicle. Do their deluxe editions have early access yeah. uh, to them? Yeah. Okay. You it's get a three days early day. access. Yeah. I, I think Stranger of Paradise was the same, right? Like, I yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, I think it was like for the console version, but the PC version, nah. well, like they, they didn't have that. Yeah. But um. But yeah, it's so yeah, coming out on September twenty second for all platforms. 
there's not not a whole lot of other like English media on it because they haven't released any. The, the website has a fair bit of details on like the characters or whatnot that has been there since it was announced. I'm interested in this game just because it is kind of like something new and mm. different. Yes. So uh, it looks the the new trailer, the Japanese trailer you just posted, looks a bit better than the like just kind of like visual fidelity than the first trailer they put out. It's still got a little bit of like this sort of diorama ish style to it, which I kind of like a little bit of a stylized kind of like board game piece aesthetic to it. But I, I'm I'm curious about this just because it is. I think you and different. me are pretty. I think you and me are pretty much gonna like like get and play every Square Enix release outside of like FF14 stuff but like pretty much like all the new releases coming from there's like yeah we'll, we'll try it out <laughs> we'll give it a shot yep uh yeah so th- that's shaping up you know September 22nd if anyone out there if you want a uh, birthday gift it's my birthday you know just, just say it <laughs> um Spike Chunsoft has released another round of info for the upcoming uh, Made in Abyss Binary Star Falling into Darkness uh, game, which is coming out on September 2nd. They have a new trailer up, just, you know, giving a rundown and overview of, like, the two uh, game modes. One is, like, following the anime story uh, uh, with Rico, and the other one is with a new creator character original mode. Um, so it's not, like, a lot of new info. It's just, like, kind of uh, letting uh, people see, like, what here's the actual gameplay loop of the game. So, you know, you have like a preparation phase of like before, before you go raid, uh, you can like uh, uh, stock up on items, supplies, and then appraise relics that you find in there. The, uh, they also showed off some of the more gruesome aspects of like, you know, people who know Made in Abyss, uh, the further down in the, uh, the, the abyss you go, there'll be like uh, heavier curse effects uh, uh, going to your character. So, like, at some point in that trailer, the, the character, the creative character's face looked really fucked up and uh, not great. <laughs> Um, you mean bleeding out of your eyeballs isn't a normal thing? Yeah, no, it's weird. <laughs> There's also like you know the several like uh, survival like gauges like uh, like physical strength, fullness, and stamina. You know, um, making sure that like you're always like in tip top shape, and if you're not, then bad things can happen to you. One um, thing I found kind of funny about this trailer is that they show like just the smallest. They show a lot of things in the trailer. But they only show like the smallest snippet of combat right at the end. Like, here's how the actual battles work, and then they like just cut away from that immediately. Like, <laughs> so we don't yeah. don't see a whole lot of combat, just like a tiny, tiny snippet of it. So it's, it's too it, violent. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is, like the original anime is not like really an action anime. No, like, it's no. not like there, there, there are action sequences. There's but some, they're, yeah, they're, but it's like yeah. so. I wonder how much like combat plays a role, or is it more like survival ish? mechanics so they call it an action rpg so but we'll see oh yeah yeah no, the 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 second second season of the anime premiered uh, a few days ago uh it was really really good i can't wait to see more of it the new episodes so yeah this is coming just right in time as the anime has come back uh mm-hmm. for streaming and this all is that releasing in september right yep September so second i believe yeah and i yeah the anime will still be going on i think it's like a 12 or 13 episodes i think yeah, so good timing, good timing. Unlike the when the when when the kill a kill fighting game came out like what five or six years after the yeah. show aired or something like that. It's like hmm, I don't know. This is the best time. Um. Okay. Then uh, we also have uh, news of Coromon coming to the Nintendo Switch on July twenty first. Uh, the Steam uh, version came out earlier this year. This is kind of the which one is this? Is the is this the Pokemon? Uh, like game right yeah it's pokemon basically i i don't remember like what's this it, one's gimmick 
But... Yeah, they're, they're, but it's not it's not like the MMO. It's, no, it's, it's just like a, it's just, okay, okay. I'm just making sure. But yeah, uh, people who are looking forward to that, uh, it's only going to be just a few more weeks. Um, so we have Coromon. Then now we also have Square Enix again. Square Enix uh, and Luminous Productions have delayed Forspoken again back to January 24, 2020-2023. And that is missing its uh, uh, delayed date of uh, October 11th. So this game, it was a, when it was initially announced, it was initially uh, launching on May 24th, but then they uh, pushed it back to October 11th uh, in March. And now we got news that... This this is really really weirdly worded from Square Enix and uh, Luminous Productions because it Forspoken is being delayed uh, quote as a result of ongoing discussions with key partners. Uh, you know we have made the strategic decision to move the launch date of Forspoken back to January twenty fourth two thousand twenty three. End quote. So it's not like technical issues. It's more like they have like, a discussion with partners. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's more like we have a really really crowded. Um, rest of the year like you see all those square enix games coming out for the rest of the year and also they i, th- I think they're also kind of afraid of like god of war uh releasing as well and now that's been dated like november 9th i want to say so like it uh, I th- I it's think, kind of uh, i think Forspoken is sort of being treated as like a pseudo playstation 5 you know platform game yeah, even if it's not. so they probably just didn't want god of war and Forspoken releasing within weeks of each other yeah, I think they should have done something like that with the Final Fantasy VII remake. I mean, considering it was released at the same time as Cyberpunk. Yeah, that was, that was near that too. You're right. So you know, uh, I th- they they really want this to be a hit, and like I, I think a lot of people think that like, hey, if we're spoken doesn't do well, this could be the last time we see Limited Productions. <laughs> so the thing is, I can't see the game doing well. It's just I don't know. I. I'm not really hyped from them looking at the trailer, and it's just like a whole new IP. It's like, it's, like, it's, like it's, it's well, know? I think I think Alex, our boss, like put it well. Like it, it's it never has it hasn't really escaped that feel of it being like a, a tech demo, and it also doesn't help that the last time we saw this game was at GDC for a tech demo, like showing off like uh, like AMD Fidelity FX super uh, super resolution Microsoft Direct storage. Like that's the last time we saw anything about this game uh, before this delay. So just like. Mm, Okay. I believe so, that anything that uses the crystal tools or the luminous engine is cursed. It, it also it also doesn't help that like the price point of this game, uh, like like you know more and more AAA games are moving to that seventy dollar price point. But you know a lot of PC users when they see the seventy dollar price point on Steam, they're like, mm, I can just get wait to get this on a sale. Yeah, you know? basically. Like, but I see the Final Fantasy Seven remake. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm so excited to pick it up. See the price tag lag. I'll wait. Yeah, I got like the FF7 uh, remake on Steam, like at like forty bucks on like Green Man Gaming because it was on on sale there, and like okay, that's that that seems okay to me, but like yeah, I don't like even I I am like I'm not I don't know if I'm like gonna pick this up for a full seventy dollars. I don't know. We got so much entertainment and so much backlog these days. No one really cares about picking up a game on launch day. If you just miss it, it's like, yeah, whatever. It also, it also doesn't help that, like, a lot of, like, games, like, get discounts, like, a month after release. Sometimes yeah, deep discounts. It hurts to be an early adopter these days, right? But these video games need to be sold on day one to make all their money back. Yeah, they, like, this really needs to, like, they need to figure something out for this game before it hits on January 24 now. Because I don't think it's really 
gotten the 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 excitement out of the crowd as much as they wanted to. Like a lot of people are like, either one, they forgot it existed, or two, they're like, okay, sure. <laughs> Like, I, 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 haven't, I haven't really seen a lot of like genuine excitement about this game. Like I've been, here and there for sure, but not like I, I've seen none of my friends talk about it at all. I just know it existed. That's it. So Alex actually posted a piece a couple months ago now, yeah. where he was basically saying pretty much what we're saying now. He just kind of wrote up an editorial yeah. like this is not sending or this is not being this is not sold like or how do I put it? I'm not sold on this. And we actually did get a some like pushback on that. People were like, "Actually, this game looks amazing." So, like, they exist, but yeah, I mean, but is there is there enough of the, those people like that that okay, are willing to, to say to be, like, 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 is there enough of the people saying like, "Yes, this looks amazing," and are willing to like drop down to seventy dollars on launch day for that and like back it up? So this is like, this knows. is a little bit blunt, but I this this is something that was kind of curious at the time. A lot of the people who were saying like this game looks amazing, they all had in their username something about Kenna Bridge of Spirits. Which at the time was like a PlayStation exclusive, so it felt like it was some sort of like PlayStation cabal. Just like they they enjoyed off. They they just think this game is amazing because it's a PlayStation console exclusive or something. Like so okay. it was it was very awkward. Just like everyone who kind of like argued against it's... that was like a Kenneth Stan, and it's just like, are you are, are you just saying this about Forspoken because it's a PlayStation game or what? It was, it was very awkward actually. Oh. Honestly, honestly, considering some of the news coming out of the uh, God of War development team and some of the shit they've been getting from PlayStation, oh fans, yeah, it's been awful. Yeah, it's like I just ooh, like Nintendo fanboys can be pretty bad. I don't. I honestly don't think there's that many Microsoft fanboys that are like really obnoxious <laughs> about PlayStation fanboys. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Like holy shit! Yeah, Sony and Nintendo fans are you know, they're, they're they're vicious and savage. So yeah, I, that 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 has been horrible of the of the people harassing developers on on social media about that God of War. Like before the release date was shown, like you know, where's the God of War Ragnarok think, release date? It's sending fucking oh, like dick pics what the fuck now now my personal thought on Forspoken is that I wish they would show a little bit more combat still we've seen bits of it but there's so many of the trailers that we've shown so far to show like Freya like jumping around like the traversal they, like, like the, okay. the most we got was like a, like a like a brief video from IGN, like kind of running down like this is how like mixing spells together is. And it's like I think I think it, it was a uh, Game Informer, but oh, um, Game Informer, sorry, yeah, yeah. like and I, that was actually the most useful video. And it's kind of curious, yeah. like, what are you actually going to be doing when you're playing this game? You know, obviously, like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm interested. Because I I do like I do like the concept of it, but I don't like they really need to show more of like what like one like the combat two like what else do you do besides the combat? Like, what is the actual content of this game what is the gameplay loop what do like are there like side quests are there what does like you know like traveling around the world because right now when i look at like all the footage is shown of the world it feels very empty and kind of like deserty and also we don't know anything about like the premise other than she has warped away and then there's like evil people in this new world like oh yeah so yeah it's like they they really need to work on like just gotta tell us what this game is at some point this will release so you might as well tell us what what it has Huh. Um, earlier this week, uh, the PlayStation blog uh, did their whole uh, another batch of like indies coming to the platform. Uh, one of the indies uh, com- coming to PlayStation Five and PlayStation Four is uh, Sabotage Studios' Sea of Stars. Um, we did report on Sea of Stars uh, 
very very previously but they've delayed it back to next year um but they also mentioned hey uh just earlier this week that it's coming uh, uh, besides this uh release on nintendo switch and pc it's also coming to playstation 5 and playstation 4 they released a new trailer with a lot of new footage in there and you know and they and they kind of uh on the playstation blog they ran down some of like the the basics of combat and their approach to it along with like some mini clips to accompany the footage uh there they're saying there's like no random encounters and a lot of like uh stuff that we knew, we knew about the game there's timed hits so kind of like uh squalls like gun blade trigger of like you can do additional damage uh on each uh of your uh hits in the game and combo moves uh boosting each other in combat and uh being able to swap between party members without it consuming a turn so you know it's, it's not a lot of like new new like news about the game it's more about the platform announcements uh, it's coming too. So yeah, it's still coming next year. No, no, no release date on it yet, aside from that, which is fine. You know, take your time on it. Yeah. Um, Bio Mutant is also uh, getting a, a modern generation releases. So it's coming to PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X and S on September sixth. Um, these will be released at uh, thirteen uh, thirty nine ninety nine USD, and then pounds. Uh, I think that, yeah, uh, there are some enhancements uh, with this uh, re- uh, or, uh, release coming to PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X and S. They have three graphical modes, uh, one that'll target a 4K resolution, one that'll uh, target a 60 frames per second frame rate. Um, the, for Xbox Series S, it'll uh, support up to 1440p when it comes to targeting resolution. Um, and uh, people who've uh, have the last generation releases of Biomutant, so PlayStation 4 or Xbox One release or version of them, um, they can upgrade to these releases for free. And I think that's about it. Obviously, it'll they, have they like previously all. Previously announced, but they, report, they reported again that Biomutant has sold more than a million. Yeah. Um, so it's did. been pretty successful. I know the reviews were kind of mixed, including ours, but. Uh... It, it did get a, like a lot of like updates throughout. Yeah. I don't know if it's like fix the, fix the core issues, but I know like there are some people that like were annoyed with like the narrator voices that they allowed you to like, mm-hmm. you know, they did something George about, that. about yeah. that for sure. Yeah. So that that'll be coming to people people who've been wanting to play that on uh, their modern generation devices. Um, another sales update: uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak uh, shipments and digital uh, sales top two million, and then the overall. Uh, sales of Monster to Rise uh, have stopped 10 million. That's ca- quite a quite a bit for uh, the the Rise uh, release here. Uh, James, is that good? Is that good for Capcom? Is 10 million for Rise and 2 million for Sunbreak good on its like first weekend? <laughs> um, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> I have to remind myself. I, that, I, I have to I, remind myself that this game is not on Xbox or PlayStation. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. And, and and it it uh, Sunbreak coming out on both Switch and PC at the same time, like at long last. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird to think, but like Sunbreak is like the first like simultaneous release uh, between those platforms. Yep. Uh, for that, so that's good to see. You know, the Monster Hunter series continues to grow and grow and grow. A lot of people seem to be having a blast with Sunbreak, having a lot of time experimenting with like new weapons and their current weapons, and seeing you know. Uh, how how they switch up their play style. So, yeah, this is um, 
I'm very curious to see what what, what they're gonna do next. I imagine Toro, uh, they're gonna make like some sort of like successor to World, like a World Two or something like that. So I'm you know whatever the Monster Hunter team has up uh, cooking, I'm looking forward to it. Of course, we still have the free title updates coming to Sunbreak uh, in the coming months too. So, Monster Hunter Galaxy. That's right. Good on them. Good on them. That's uh, those are good strong initial sales for Sunbreak. Um. To top this, uh, to top it off, uh, th- this episode, I just uh, decided, hey, we should have a fun VN corner because there have been some cool visual novel announcements that were uh, announced at Anime Expo 2022. Oh yeah! <laughs> so I, I, I figured let's uh, highlight some of them um, here. Um, of course, I've talked about this previously. I've written a feature piece on this, but uh, oddly enough. Um, at the end of the Fate Grand Order panel at Anime Expo 22 that they did live stream, they announced that, yes, there will be an official Western release for Witch on the Holy Night from uh, uh, the Type, uh, Type Moon uh, coming to PlayStation 4 and Switch coming West on December 8th. That is day and date with the Japanese release. And if people remember uh, a few months back, there was like a big, 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 like, holy shit moment in that community of like, when they... Um, Adam, you initially saw this at the PR Times website. Uh, when yeah, they, they, uh... So the Japanese press release for this, you know, so yeah. it was announced in Japan, and there's obviously a Japanese language press release, and in the press release are like, supported languages. And this was in Japanese, and it's like, Japanese, Chinese, English. It's like, wait, English? <laughs> what? Yeah. And then you told me, I was like, that, is that a typo? They're, they're fucking with me. That's a typo right there. So basically, the Japanese press release was saying what languages it supported, and English was yeah. on there. So even though it yeah, didn't it, get like an English press release, the Japanese one said it supported English. So so yeah, now we got the official English, like actual Western confirmation. Yeah. So it's not just yeah, going to be, really cool. so it's not just like English on the Japanese version. It's actually getting an English version. Yes, oh. this will be. We don't know if it's a digital only only release. They haven't confirmed yet or, or denied if there's gonna be a physical release. So we have no idea on that. It is coming just for thirty nine ninety nine. So it's not a full sixty on that, which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm, you know, that's that's cool that like people that have like an official avenue that have to resort to like importing because once again, kind of like with like fan translations, almost like if there's an obstacle to like get the product that isn't just a simple hey, click the click the buy button on the store page. In, uh, in, uh, in Western storefronts, it's it, you lose more and more sales like that with every barrier of entry to that. So I think having um, an official uh, release is it's awesome. It's awesome. So the Anaplex will be publishing that. Um, also on the Spike Chunsoft panel, uh, they they previously announced that Chaos Head Noah was coming to the West for Switch. Uh, they announced that it's also coming to PC. On October seventh, that is oh, uh, yeah. uh, that is part of the science adventure series of stuff stuff like Steins Gate uh, and Chaos Child. They also mentioned that um, they also showed, showed some footage of Chaos Child uh, on Switch, and it is very interesting. Uh, the color was mentioning this, but there's a certain um, mechanic in Chaos Child where it's like a mapping trigger mechanic that was not like the tr- map itself was like supposedly uh, not translated uh, in its like previous Western release, like on the Steam version. But on the Switch release for that, it is translated. So I don't. It's. I can't imagine this will be coming like retroactively to the Switch version because I, I think or the PC version because the PC version of Chaos Shot is like under a different publisher. Publisher, I want to say. Is no, it? it's not. Um, okay, you got it mixed up. So okay. 
the way that Chaos Child worked is that the uh, PS4 and Vita version was localized by P-Cube. Okay, that's And uh, the initial... So the map thing, it's a long fucking story, but long story short, P-Cube themselves weren't behind the localization of Chaos Child. Ever since, I want to say, Steins Gate Zero... Technically, the localizations for the Science Adventure uh, series have been sort of in-house, as in the Japanese side got to choose directly who was translating what. So when and then there was like this weird sort of like policy where once some like once a game had been localized, changes could not be made to the localized release. Okay. So when PQ got the stuff back for Chaos Child to publish it. They mentioned, hey, we need this map translated because there's one route in Chaos Child and you need to do all the other routes to see the true ending that has you basically go to this map that's kind of in the background of pretty much every other route in this one room and use it along with these clues to try and map out and figure out, okay, what's going on? It's only in one route... But it's really important, and mm-hmm. if you don't know Japanese, it's basically mm-hmm. impossible to do it without looking up a guide. And this is an, an officially localized game that's had physical releases on on PlayStation 4 and Vita. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. They were okay with that? It's like... Yeah, and like, so the PC and... Um, yeah, the PC version was released by Spike Chunsoft as... Pretty much every other um, science adventure release since uh, Steins Gate Zero has been. Yeah. Did, did the, the, I'm sorry. Did the PC release of uh, Chaos Shot have that uh, translated map, or was it like the, no. added through fan fixes? It was added through fan fixes. Okay, okay. Yeah, because Spike Chunsoft wanted to fix it, but they weren't able to. Um, but yeah, um, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, okay. Yeah, thank thank you for the correction. That is a very uh, warped. Uh, scenario there yeah uh and thankfully they, they got it sorted out with the switch release uh for chaos child they coming so yeah and then chaos child, uh, had nova uh once again pc via steam on october 7th so you know um science adventure fans gathering to st- the steam with the with their steam decks you know um and they all, as the final announcement in spike chunsoft they announced that anonymous code which is uh, the latest installment to the Science Adventure series coming to Japan fairly soon, like in a few months. That'll be coming west uh, in 2023 for PS4, Switch, and PC, which is, you know, that's uh, really, really awesome to see because, you know, like just a few years back, like even a decade ago, it's like unfathomable to think that like, oh, the Science Adventure series getting officially localized is kind of um, a dream. And now here we are, like just everything's coming over. I still can't believe that Anonymous Code's finally fucking released. Yeah. Real. It's like, I feel like I've been hearing about that game for like seven, eight years, some shit like that. It's like ridiculous. Even even uh, I, have, who don't, have never played the game in the series, I remember hearing about that like five years ago and I thought it was already out. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, think, I think it's been like on and off for development hell. So hopefully it's awesome. I'm, it yeah. looks really, really cool. It has like a very distinct look to it. I think the one really interesting thing about the anonymous code uh, announcement is that, uh, so you know him, um, 
Josh, but you know uh, Andrew Hodgson, uh, yeah. reading signer, right? Yeah. So he did the original fan translation for Steins Gate and was brought over for the official release of Steins Gate on console and then PC. So the official uh, localization is based off the fan translation. Well, I think he might have relocalized most of it, but it's based off his work. Uh, for a long time, he wanted to continue working on the series. He wasn't able to do it with Steins Gate Zero or Chaos Child because of, again, that internal policy from... Uh, I think it was a Katakawa thing. Uh, and I can't say too much, but I do know that there were other games that he was very close to tr- being able to localize before Katakawa basically pulled the rug out from under everyone involved. Uh, it's really fascinating that... Uh, so this is officially being localized and published by Spike Chunsoft. Andrew is now a P-Cube employee... But before that, he got brought on the contract. He is the one that's doing the localization for Anonymous Code. That is uh, quite the situation. Yeah. Huh. I wonder it's... how that even works. That's... <laughs> that, that, that contract must be so weirdly worded. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I assume that P-Cube's going to be publishing the game in the UK, so it's like, whatever. I'm uh-huh. sure there's like no bad blood between them. Yeah. But it's still very interesting, like that trail of events where it's like, God. But yeah, you know what? Good on him, you know? I assume, it's well I, assume deserved. They, I assume just like a lot of employers, they probably have to like disclose conflicts of interest sort of thing. Yeah. And he, as long as he's disclosed this, that he is translating it and whatnot, and you know, as long as they're okay with it, you know? So. Just making sure there's like no obstacles and like mm-hmm. no no like real, weird st- hidden stipulations of yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's just very cool because it's like I know that he's been a very very big fan of the series for a long time. He's yes. a very accomplished translator. Like, um, yeah, it's great to see him. Like, like it's great to see this game finally releasing, and it's also great to see that he's getting another chance to. Uh, do translation work for the series. I'm sure it'll be great, and I'm yeah. very excited to see how the final product is. I doubt it'll live up to all of the hype, considering how long the wait has been. But I hope it does. I mean, I don't have like super high expectations for it. I just like I just want like a fun, fun science adventure story. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. uh, I'm not expecting it to be like the second coming of Christ or something. But yeah, it's. I mean. We already got Chaos Child, and nobody really expected another like science adventure game to hit as hard as Science Gate. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be nice if we get something that's. I like Science Gate Zero more than the most people. I feel like I'd be fine if it was as good as Science Gate Zero, with maybe little, maybe just a little bit less plot holes. That'd be uh, nice. obviously the the real the real uh, the, the the real final boss here is when's a Cultic Nine coming to the West. Hmm. Still has to finish the uh, <laughs> yeah. the uh, the patch for uh, for uh, for all the versions of Occultic Nine that have already released. Wait, there's been multiple no. versions. I thought there was like just a, the, the 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 one release, the PS4 release, and I think it came to Switch. I don't know. I don't remember. It was also on Vita. Oh, okay. Make that work. Yeah, I don't think mm. like I, I know that Sony is no longer accepting Vita patches, unsurprisingly, because. Uh, I like a buddy of mine just kind of like pinged me on Twitter a few months ago saying, Oh yeah. Did you know that Labyrinth of Galleria got a patch on PS4 and switch to make that post game dungeon, uh, much easier. It's like, huh? And then I like read the uh, press release on, 
uh, Nipponichi's site, and they said, yeah, we, we would have released this on Vita, but Sony just wouldn't let us uh, send out a patch. So it's oh. like, oh. Well, that's how it goes. Which, frankly, I'm surprised they outright said that, but I mean, good for them. But, like, but, but the Ocultic 9, like, the, the, you mentioned patches, like, it's like content patches, like it's getting like updated, like new, like story, or is it just like fixed? Yes, the oh. uh, original Ocultic 9 visual novel released an incomplete. Okay, huh. Like, specifically incomplete, and they were going to... Originally, the anime was going to um, showcase the full breadth of the story that the visual novel was supposed to have. But I think that they they scrapped that because they didn't want to have uh, that content be in the anime before the visual novel. So weird. (laughs) It's fucked up. That's so weird. (laughs) I don't understand, but okay. <laughs> As you can very clearly um, um, like parse, uh, listeners, uh, Science Adventure has been a bit of a clusterfuck the last like seven, eight years. Let's not even get into the fact that for a period of time, the series in the West was considered different from the series in Japan because it, it was like... Um, I, I forget the name of the uh, the like different series that they were calling it. It wasn't Science Adventure. It was something like, for a period of time, the Science Adventure games were fictional works in the world that was actually supposed to be the real-life version of that universe, which Anonymous Code was going to be part of. And I think they've entirely scrapped that because they realized that, no, that's just absolutely fucking dumb. I don't know, you definitely said a lot of words in the last 30 seconds, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Chiomara must, <laughs> must be stopped. <laughs> All righty, that'll bring a close to this uh, jam-packed, action-packed Tetracast. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining me. Um, yeah, you can find us over at rpgsite.net. You can find us on Twitter at rpgsite. You can follow our, our Facebook at facebook.com slash rpgsitenet. On YouTube through youtube.com slash rpgsitenet. Um, you can find us on your favorite uh, the podcast app. You can join us on Discord with the little Discord button at the top of our front page on our site. Um, I'm probably gonna open up uh, in the coming weeks, like near, like uh, not not right now, but in the coming weeks, I'm thinking about opening up a Xenoblade uh, room there for people to go uh, talk about that uh, 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 right before release, and um, and then as they're going through it, uh, so everyone has a, a place to chat about that because it's gonna be a quite a long adventure for a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah, so until then, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Chow. Thank you, James, for joining me today. And yeah, the, everyone have fun. Stay safe. Um, take care. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right, later, guys. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>